Forgetting Asheville is an actual play Chronicles of Darkness podcast set in the fictional New England town of Asheville. We're all friends, we're here to have fun, but our story can include graphic violence, drug use, sexual content, and other mature themes. Content warnings can be found in the show notes. We've talked at our table about safety, comfort, and consent, both as players and storytellers. We know what to expect, we're all excited to be here, and we want you to feel the same. So listener discretion is advised. Now let's forget our troubles. Last time on Forgetting Asheville. John and Dan met with Kendra and discovered that friends of the Swansons were being targeted by Rot's caress. The pair realized that the Order of the Toolmaker successfully corrupted Estrada's soul. Lola's fetch was killed by the Beshalu. Dan led Rot's caress on a chase to buy time for the group. Aviva, Jesse, and Lola met up with John, prepared for battle, and completed the ritual to enter the Hisiel. They arrive just as Dan has no choice but to stand and fight. Everybody hit me with a roll, and the roll is going to be 14 minus your resolve plus your supernatural potency. So your primal urge, your gnosis, your weird. Jesse, because the nature of the fear that is emanating from this thing is actually strangely familiar in a perversion of, a, of an old comfort, you're going to get to add two to your resistance to this. Basically, you guys are rolling for Rot's Caress here against your own defenses. Three successes. Does Indomitable apply here? Yes, it does. An additional... An additional two okay. defense. Zero successes. Does it succeed on an eight again? Eight plus is what succeeds. Okay. It does not have eight agains or anything on this roll. Two successes. Question. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Have eights qualified as a success this whole time? Yes. It's eight plus. Okay. I've only been doing nine plus. Really? Yeah. Oh, no, Erica. Oh, no. <laughs> Erica. <laughs> Erica, you fuck. Honestly, the fact that you have been succeeding this well, as well as you have, and you have mm-hmm. fully just fucked your own percentages is mm-hmm. mind-boggling. <laughs> okay, yes, Go Erica, me. it's eight pluses. It's good for you to learn this on an attack against you. I'm glad we're learning this right the before m- the finale. The right? more like, we know. <laughs> hey, you know what? There's so much I don't fucking understand oh, about the system. 100%, yeah. And that's not, you know, that's just the reality of learning a system. Absolutely. Mm. Okay, so in that case, it's four successes. Okay. All of you break the surface, and as that those overwhelming feelings and that st- rotten stench starts to happen, it's, it's almost like that stench is coming from inside of you, that your bodies are going to give way. Aviva, even for you, whose body actively gave way because you're dead, there's that... Uh, Rude. There is, <laughs> there's that old feeling like you can't escape the humanity of the feeling of, I am going to die. I am going to rot. Something horrible is coming. Jesse, you know that your brother is in trouble. You know that this thing is out there, but really, at the end of the day, the rot is bad. But you can shake the feeling because, thinking back, all the times that we've seen Jesse throughout the course of the show leave a hand lingering off the side of the bed or sticking it into some place with shadow. It's not an entirely unfamiliar feeling, and thus it does not keep hold. Everyone who failed is insensate. 
may take no actions, may move and still apply their defenses, but is just fully, like, overwhelmed by the feeling. Jesse, because there were no dramatics, you may take a single action to get everyone up, if you wish. However, because you are more aware of your surroundings right now, you also see Dan in the grasp, in Garu form, held against Rot's caress as it begins to walk away from the quarry into the woods. Not at speed, you can catch it pretty quick, but you are aware of what's happening. You see the mat of, like, insectoid fingers. You can recognize the paralyzing fear for what it is. And for just a moment, on the haunches, like the rotten, fingery haunches, a little, a series of little, like, hand flies and finger maggots coalesce into a little face that looks at you and just says... Jesse. I want everybody to roll me initiative. Dan, you already got yours. Five. Fourteen. Just to make it complicated. <laughs> uh, your fourteen will go at the end of the fourteen stack. Got it. Nine. Fourteen initiative. <laughs> <laughs> you will also go at the end of the fourteen stack, but I will let you and... Aviva, decide who goes first. Aviva can go first. I thought you should go first, because you're, you're the better swimmer, I man. I guess the cool kids decided on 14, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Damn straight. Uh, the Chaos Goblins know that they actually... I'm not really going to be cool here. There yeah. seems to be a misunderstanding. Okay. Um, so why don't you go ahead? Sure. I will be the second to last of the 14th. Pathetic. <laughs> Dan. Yes? You may be a little busy right now to recognize that reinforcements have arrived. Gonna try and bust out? My perception is technically an eight right now. Okay. You know what? <laughs> Fair enough. You recognize from your weird internal position inside of Rot's caress. I'm a little busy, but yeah. You're a little busy. Uh, <laughs> from the angle that you're at right now, you may not recognize anybody who's come through the locusts, but especially since you are a rage monster right now. But you recognize that Rot's caress's attention is suddenly not as focused on you as it was a minute ago. It's going to try and just continue to carry you quickly away from here. You recognize that immediately, but you have a chance to try and break out of its grasp. Contest the grapple and we'll see how this looks. We'll see how it goes. Tim, also remember it's eight or higher. (laughs) Explain it for Lola. (laughs) (laughs) I think that explains Tim's rolling too, though. Rotskares has... Five successes to keep you held. I have six before I'm rolling again. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Just to prove a point. The, the first couple rolls, Dan always is like, I don't know, guys. And then he's like a fucking steam engine and he just like starts going and then you can't stop him. Yeah. He's that, not a bottle rocket. He's a diesel engine. That is seven successes and five of them were tens. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Is that including your eight against? Uh, yeah, my none of my almost none of the dice that I rolled again. Gotcha. Uh, Nothing converted. Only yeah. Only oh, I'm one. so sorry that you only got seven successes. <laughs> oh, wait, no, I got one more die to roll. Oh my god. Oh, one more die to roll. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that brings me up to what nine? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one more, and it would have been an exceptional Six. against his five. Right. So, but like, oh my god, this is literally a grapple monster. <laughs> Dan, describe to me how you get the fuck out. Um, so, Feel free to be as messy as possible. Yeah, so I'm going to 
I'm still mostly on the outside. So from his weird horned things, I'm going to just grab onto them and just like pull myself out while like kicking myself free and like taking everything else out with me as I'm doing that. Just chunks of like rot and hand insects go everywhere as you rip your way out of this thing. And as you reach up to grab the antler hands, yeah. a little voice, much smaller than the one that's been talking to you the whole time, just goes, Finally. As Dan Swanson reaches out and grabs hands, you're sick and distill at a minus two, you take one bashing. Yep. But you are out. Yep. It's basically a free action, so I get my regular action. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do. I am holding it by its antlers. I'm hoping to just, I don't know, hoping to rip them off, but we'll see what the dice says. We'll see. Uh, he does have a 10 defense. Yep. I'm going to spend a willpower on this one. Two successes. Okay. You do two more damage to it. It's 10 armor's tough. Describe to me uh, how you, like, what you do. So basically, I'm holding it, and I, I, I kind of just start ripping the antlers off, but more than likely, it's doing some damage, but not a lot. So, like, I just take some of the hands that are making the antlers off, and, like, it's just gross. It's some of the like yeah. yeah the some of the like the the skin of what would be the forearm or like the flesh of the forearm like sloughs off in your yeah. hands like you're degloving it. It does oh, <laughs> It does not um it does not feel like a satisfactory hit essentially. It is not, but you actually are damaging the damn thing. And I'm going to uh, take my movement part of that and back away and set to take a charge or whatever it is and just Give myself a moment outside of this thing's aura. Back away towards the, the quarry yeah. or towards... Okay, so back towards the quarry clip. Yep. Uh, it will downgrade your cumulative counter by one. So now technically... I, I'll keep track of it. Yep. But right now you're only at a minus one rather than a minus two. Got it. You get the sense that, like, you know, the more that you're around it, the more that you're in it, the worse off it is. Obviously it wants to keep you there and just dissolve you. But the Rahu backs up. You think to escape from me, Urava... Ah, uh, feel this. And what is your defense? Guys, he's just unleashed an ultimate attack on me, guys. <laughs> that, that language is his ultimate attacks. I don't know if you know, but mm. I know from anime. Mm. <laughs> My defense is a five. We're not in an anime. <laughs> I mean, we are. <laughs> I've seen this one now. <laughs> don't recommend me. Uh, okay, <laughs> that's... Oh, right. Why'd your brain go there? Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> you know exactly why. Uh, it lunges forward to get into your space again, mm -hmm. reaches out and like puts both. It doesn't like attack in a regular way. It just puts both of its antler hands out, and instead of goring you, they just sort of like trail along your arms and chest. Like just reach out like it's a goring attack, but possibly it, a rot's caress, a caress, yeah. and just touches you. <laughs> And you will take five lethal damage from that. Got it. Oviva, you have a defense and a movement, but no action as you are still within the insensate throes of just the horror of this thing. Can we see where... When Dan backs up, all of you who are in the water can see him in his full werewolf form. Parts of his body, like rotting but then healing before the rot can really stay there and then the bulk of what appears to be that horrific rotting hands and fingers 
stag. Backing him up towards the cliff, although Dan right in this moment does not appear to be on the back foot, per se. Shrugging the armor on even more tightly, as if to protect herself from that fear that maybe death is coming for her in a way that she hasn't even had to deal with yet in her own position. Aviva will do the only thing that she feels she really can, at least with that crushing sense still put upon her, and that's just to move close to Dan, as far as she can get. You can basically get, like, out of the water and up on the shore, but you'll have to walk sort of around and up, like a round or two of movement, because remember, they had been moving away. I would rather move directly towards him than to move away. If, yes, perhaps you have unnatural methods of movement in the future, uh, you can swim directly towards, like, the cliff face, essentially, where you guys had jumped off of. Where is he located? Up at the top of the cliff, at this point. And then in that case, I will move more towards the side, if it seems that I could not access them as they're on top of a cliff. Not yet. Yeah. The stag grabbed him and then moved at stag speeds while it had the grapple still. And if that's all I can do, that's my action. That is it for this round. John, you are also insensate. John heaves and kind of a little nauseous and dizzy from... um the, the unusual experience of kind of going down and then suddenly being up and is just kind of disoriented and definitely getting the impression that this is a place that's anathema to both matter and death. A lot of the magic he can channel doesn't really affect a place like this. Other than what the group of you brought with you, there is none of either here. Right, and keeping in mind what he brought with him, he kind of clenches his glock while trying to refocus on helping Dan, he marches his way to the shore. Jesse. The first thing Jesse kind of looks around for is to see if there is any essence left. There is not. So it is completely just drought. Right now it is Hissio. drought right here. Mm. With Roth's caress being in the area, you can presume, and also after Dan took some. Oh, yeah, through, yeah, no worries, no worries. There's nothing there. He sees that the aura of fear and... Rot emanating off the Megath has kind of really shock, shocked his whole co- group of companions into just being a little bit dazed. Is it like what? What's what is? What does it exactly look like? Their reactions are. It's tough to see what's going on in their heads, but externally yeah. is that because I always thought insensate means like ra- being filled with rage. Uh, insensate specifically, at least in this context, sure. is. You're sort of out of it. You can't, like, get your mind together to, like, have the wherewithal to take actions. Sure. You can still, like, defend yourself and move. If something is, like, attacking you, you have enough sense left to, like... It's like a temporary comatose, almost. Like a okay. like a, like can, a fear coma. It's... Yeah, you can either get it from fear or from arousal. This I just, is the fear one. I'm not gonna judge. <laughs> we don't kink shame here. No, we do. <laughs> you like the grubble, you're bad. Uh, there goes our fan base, Rob. <laughs> seeing the immediate need for two Garu to be working this thing, Jesse is going to just simply scramble up that cliff face and hope that the group can regroup and assist them when they're able to. But the person who needs the help the most is Dan. So Jesse is going to spend his action transforming into Urshul 
dire wolf form and use that athletics to help him kind of just scramble up that cliff face. Make me a strength athletics. And I'm actually taking the action to transform, so I'm not spending the essence. So Okay. Maybe a strength athletics for your movement. Two successes. Okay, you may move up the... You may find purchase in this sheer cliff face. It's about 20 feet up, so you can move at half speed climbing. Well, he is speed 18 in, in Urshul, so half speed will be 9. You'll get about halfway. You'll basically get... Because you have to swim over there, too. So you'll basically get about halfway up the cliff. So long as you successfully make the athletic check next round, because you're stopping halfway through, yep. you'll be up in just two rounds. Perfect. Lola. You are also currently insensate. Lola, when faced with fight, flight, or freeze, in this case, has frozen. Autumn Court has a healthy respect for fear, but this is this is almost as scared as she's ever been. So she looks around where she is, looking to not draw a predator's attention, um, and looks for a shadow. Do shadows exist in the Hisio? Sort of. There are, I mean, there are dark areas. Whether or not it's true darkness or not for your purposes is unclear. I just need to step into a shadow and Lola will vanish. Going invisible takes an action. Mm-hmm. You, ha- you may not take actions. Okay, then I won't do that. Can I attempt to shake the condition? No. Okay. Not this round, I should say. New circumstances as it degrades next round, but... As of right now, no. Lola just kind of ducks into a shadow and waits there. In the absence of anybody, like, snapping you out of it, Mm -hmm. this is an unnatural aura and does not go away on its own. Mm -hmm. Okay, which will bring us back to the top of the round. Dan, take your bashing. What you gonna do? I am dramatically fighting at the top of a cliff. I'm gonna try to maneuver it so this thing has got its back to the cliff. And basically, I'm going to strike from one side and then move around and make it look like I'm striking from one side and then move around. Because I feel like with that kind of defense, he's moving to, like, block me with all his weird... Absolutely. He's using his, like, bulk and his weird gross, like... Grossness. Yeah, slippery (laughs) nastiness. Yeah, basically trying to keep his hand antlers between me and all his... And keep his attention. Oh, my God. I... Thank God biting is not my specialty. (laughs) (laughs) That's all... (laughs) Just All right. So not great. Make your attack. Um, do I take the new penalty for moving back into its order? Uh, you are starting the round, so back at a minus two. Okay. Obviously, it's trying not to let you get away. One success. One success deals some damage. And I'm going to let you know this. You Even in Garu, right, you are a Rahu. You are... Rahu are not just rampaging monsters of destruction. They are warriors. Right. Dan is a warrior, and Dan has shown himself to be pretty, honestly, pretty smart when it comes to combat and, like, intuitively knowing what to do. So one of the things that you recognize now that you're just, like, chipping away at it a little bit, unlike with the Antithanatau or other spirits even that you faced, this is a spirit of, originally was a spirit of rot and a spirit of fear, which means no part of what made it up would allow it to heal unnaturally. It is not... Even though you are doing little bits of damage, like you swipe a hand through, like, just a cloud of maggots, right? But not as many seem to take its place. It is not regenerating the damage you're doing to it. 
Yeah, it's starting to show some wear. It is starting to show a little bit of wear. Now, right. this thing is a huge bulk. Right. It's also gross, so it's hard and to it's tell. It's also disgusting, yeah. so it's very hard to tell. But you, as the as a Rahu, as someone who is good at this kind of thing, you recognize, even in your Garu state, you are hurting it. And it is not easily regenerating the damage. And in fact, the essence drought in the area may mean, despite what it is, it doesn't have the spare essence to actually heal what's being done to it. I did what I can, but I feel like since I heard it talk to Jesse, that like it kind of has a all-around awareness. It is tough to even though it keeps yeah. maneuvering its head towards you. It is not an unreasonable thing to assume that like, you know, where was the grubbler ever looking, right? Who knows? Ugh. So this thing has like insects and and gross shit as part yeah. of its bulk. It probably has a general awareness. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Good to know. Speaking of, tired of the Rahu continuing to, like, grab it like that and swipe at it, it's going to attempt to grab you. Sure. Three successes yep. as it pulls you back into its bulk. Gross. As soon as it does, I need another resolve composure check from you. You have passed it once before, so you get a plus one die to this. willpower on this all i'm reminded of is like spider poison type deal where they wrap you up and then like the paralytic type deal stuff and like dissolve you that's i mean kind of that's just the using natural its own sense body. i'm getting here two successes two okay two means you are not affected you get that same creeping sense of dread and horror but you are not affected by you, you know you manage to shrug this off got it aviva john you guys are going, now here's the thing. It has now been one round since you were first hit with the Insensate. You may spend a willpower to take an action. Uh, like I said earlier, you can take an action to shake somebody out of it. Which means, in theory, you can spend a willpower to shake yourself, a willpower and an action to shake yourself out of it, or help somebody else. Are we able to RP with each other while under the effects of this? What I'm going to say is you can absolutely RP, because I don't want to stop RP, but you can't, like plan the downfall of Rot's Caress while you're RPing. Do you see what I'm saying? So what I want to do is say go to Aviva. Can I do that? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like, like, effectively, we're both on 14s. I would say that it makes sense that if you are trying to be faster than me, you might be able to. I don't know if that's how yes, that works. Yes, I'm but fine with that. You guys can swap the 14s back and forth. Okay. So John is going to look to Aviva and say go, Dan, help Dan. And I'm going to spend a point of willpower so that I can act. And I'm actually going to reach for Lola and pull her the last few steps to shore and shake her free of this effect. Very smart. Lola is still crouched behind a rock, but when she sees John reach for her, she reaches out and like, like he's going to slip through her fingers, holds on. It's okay. And then... John kind of returns to his state of stupor. Does that pull me out of it? Yes. So John reaches his hand out, and the the feeling of someone touching you in a like helpful, comforting way mm -hmm. is enough to shake Lola from that overwhelming sense of dread. the The atmosphere is still bad around here, but you are together and with it enough to be able to act when it's your turn. Okay. Viva. 
Aviva very badly looks like she wants to argue with John, but it's like the will behind that urge to tell him absolutely not fuels her attempt to break herself out of it so that she can respect that decision. So I will spend my last willpower with that no longer a limiter. That was my action. Am I still able to continue moving towards the fray? You can have your movement to try and start going up towards the fray, yeah. At this point, what's your speed? I am using my usual speed. It is a nine. You'll get there in another two rounds. Jesse, uh, make me that athletics check to finish getting up the cliff. One success on this one means you get up immediately and can act. That's, uh, that's five successes. Five successes is an exceptional. So here's what I'm going to say. You coming up the cliff like this, for this round, he won't be fully flat-footed because of you're a huge-ass direwolf that went up a sheer cliff. With five successes, that scrambles you up enough. Uh, you will cut Rot's Caress's defense in half for this round as you, like... Catch, uh, catch him unawares? Catch him mostly unawares. So his defense will be five? A four, because a minus one because Dan already attacked it. Then Jesse's going to take that opportunity to do what he does best and strike it from behind, unseen, while his brother is uh, on the front line, so to speak. The dire wolf that is Jesse leaps on the back of Rot's caress and is going to use his Urshul jaws to try and break through the rot and and filth and uh, growth to simply just break its spine and let its head lull, hoping that that might be enough to kill it. Okay. You're at minus one die as you enter the aura, and you are gravely sickened. Uh, you will start immediately as you enter the aura with a bashing. Going all out is... Plus two dice, zero defense. Uh, willpower is plus three. Plus three. This thing doesn't actually really have a back. I will spend an essence for my shadow gift, being able to get, make my attack rote. Okay. That is six successes. That is a lot of damage. Nice. So, a couple things happen. One, you take a massive chunk out of the back. You can feel the, like, flesh of it wriggling and wriggling in your mouth. You can feel the the old bones that were the basis of carrion feast back in the day crunch beneath your jaws. However, I need an immediate stamina roll. You got it. One success. One success means you will not be taking the ongoing damage from biting this thing. Okay. You can feel like the fingers in your mouth, starting to rot away at, like, the enamel in your teeth, the inside of your cheeks. Uh, you can feel, like, layers of skin peeling away from the roof of your mouth. But you are currently tough enough to stop yourself from rotting from the inside, from taking a mouthful of this stuff. Fantastic. Thanks, I hate it. Lola, you're up. Question. Yes. I would like to try and inspire everybody. Will that be enough to pull John out? Or would that have to be a separate action to attempt to pull him out? Or, so, hypothetically, mm -hmm. c 
could I give the inspired condition to the people who are out? And rather than getting the inspired condition, he is pulled out of his stupor. Tell you what, I will allow you to inspire everyone. And provided that the manner in which you RP inspiring everyone is acceptable. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine it wouldn't be, but yeah, I need a little bit more than a go team. I will allow anyone who is under the paralyzed with fear condition uh, to spend that inspiration to shake it. Otherwise, they can spend it like normal. Okay. As an action or what? Nope. Okay. Reflexive. It seems fair to me that a fairest could inspire a fairest of the autumn court could inspire everyone past their fear. That seems reasonable. Okay. Now, what do you do to do that? Lola takes a minute and begins to stomp her feet and kind of just establishes a beat for herself briefly and then begins calling out using the words that Jesse has used to describe everybody because they're in the Hisseel. So let's do this appropriately. Rahu, Iraka, Elodoth Hersey, Ifair Hersey, we undertake Siskarda, fight as one. And she will attempt to inspire. What's your role? Presence expression. Do it up. Minus one because this is a small group. Do I get my striking looks? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They're very excited dice today. Here's the one you just dropped. Okay. And here's the one that's over there. It's a lot easier when you count the eights. <laughs> just mad at you <laughs> not because of you're not knowing that's fine because you're so much greater than you've shown us to be <laughs> Erica over here like I've been wearing weights <laughs> damn this is an anime <laughs> told <Damn> you <laughs> Tim was right that'll be seven successes Jesus Christ uh, what's the exceptional condition on this there's not this is a merit Ah, right. Then tell you what. On an exceptional, gain back a willpower. I'm so excited. An upgraded woohoo. And everyone else in the group gains the inspired condition. What that means is that you may gain an exceptional success. You may choose to gain an exceptional success in regards to how she's inspired you on three successes rather than five. And when you do, you gain a willpower back. You may also use that at any point to shake the paralyzing fear of Rot's caress, and when you do that, gain back a willpower point. As the fairest changeling from the waters below shouts her inspiration, and a nimbus of, like, fey light almost, like metaphorically, a little literally, Mm. shines forth and inspires the group. Dan, you are, take a bashing, you are at minus two currently, this is the second round of minus two. You are currently held. So that sounds like the roll off. Here we go. Rot's caress, I'm going to say surprised by Jesse's appearance and assault, only got one success out of his massive die pool. Mm. Dice tell a story. Whereas Tim is still rolling. 
Six. That's an exceptional. Correct. Describe to me how you break out of this on an exceptional. So an exceptional, I get two of the actions. Yes. He is holding me by his hand thingies again. Yes, he. You are currently being like pulled back up into its chest. Okay, it would be five damage. Okay, which is pretty significant versus everything else that I've done. That's a big hit. Yeah, five damage is a big fucking hit. Yeah. So essentially, I think he's Jesse jumped on top, went through the bottom, and I'm being absorbed through the chest, and I just plant my feet and like, r- like wrench myself through, like meeting him, like. Between the spaces. So, the two... <laughs> I punch from the top, he punches from below, and we finger wiggle in between. <laughs> God. How dare you. <laughs> that was awesome. And then we both dab. <laughs> so, five damage. You erupt going upwards, like, through the spine as Jesse is going down through, like, the spine and the neck. Right. right. The two of you do meet in the middle, and there are now two halves of Rot's caress. The arms that were its ribs go down and, like, set foot to stabilize itself. It is not dead. It is just bisected and still alive with, like, tendrils of meat and fingers and intestines vaguely stretched between the two parts. And the stag's head whips around and looks back at you hatefully. All I can picture is the two werewolves in, as the two guys in a horse suit right now, but mm-hmm. so gross. Um, <laughs> we just trade places, basically. <laughs> uh, since that was the turn of the and a resolve of the grapple roll, I am then going to uh, use utilize my other one to instantly break free. Yep, you um, have escaped the grapple. Right, so I basically just like... Which is good. It has not yet been able to keep you for two rounds in a row in a grapple. I would also like to suggest we call the antlers hantlers. <laughs> Suggestion noted and discarded. For you. For you. Damn it. Um, I don't like bre- when you point out my lack of control. <laughs> the break free says I can take another action. I don't know if the, the damaging you want to count that. Otherwise, we can just move forward. It's a weird... It's a weird edge case. I will allow... I mean, that's fucking cool. I will allow you to take an attack. Sure. Reminder, you're at a minus two. Yep. These, these handlers are huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his defense, you might despite... might say this is a ten-pointer book. <laughs> oh, no. God damn it. <laughs> despite it being in two pieces, it has not affected its defense at yeah. all. So its defense is still a ten. It is a ten-pointer book. One success. Oh, hold on. Still one success. You just burst out in a gore explosion uh, and take another swipe at it. Yeah, just as it's dancing and moving itself around, I kind of just get another, like, mild swipe at its side face thing. Mm -hmm. Because you are this covered in rotting stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, the bashing is now going to be lethal now that you are at the minus two stage. Sure. As literally your body can't keep up with the rot. Get this over with. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to you know, yeah. play the long game, do the endurance yeah, just run. Just kind of hang out. It'll be Dilly fine. Dilly Dally Dan. Yeah. It is... I can't, fuck. I was going to describe it rearing up on its hind legs, but you bisected it. So instead... <laughs> it can grow new fingers to rear up. 
I mean, both halves could rear up. It just looks. I goofy. mean, it could just attach itself again, really, because it's not. I mean, really it could. It's an itself. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. The pieces of it start to like reconnect, like the intestines that had been left between the two parts, sort of like go taut and start pulling it together. It does not appear to be healing. It's just there. <laughs> Proving and, that its body doesn't have a set form. Yeah. And it rears up on its hind legs. But the extra, the, the hand ribs, the arm ribs that had gone down to like keep it stable are now... So it's got like eight legs at this point. Because they are still down its little hands like knuckles curled in like hooves. And it lets out a just horrible gargling scream. I need everybody here to roll me Resolve Composure at a minus two penalty. But, uh, Indomitable Will? Indomitable Will, yes. Uh, and actually, Jesse, take an additional plus one from... Three successes. Three successes. Two successes. Two successes. No successes. Lola... Even though you're not in the aura, you gained the grave sickened condition immediately. You will take po five points of lethal damage. However, it does not ignore armor. Every time you get hit by this, it downgrades the armor rating by one. To do that math real fast, mm -hmm. you take five points of lethal. The armor that John specifically got for you, created for you, has an armor rating of five. Mm -hmm. You will take no damage. Mm-hmm. But the armor now has a rating of but four? But the armor right now has a rating of four. Okay. The bashing damage you will take at the start of every turn from the Gravely Sickened is equivalent to the one in the aura and will be ignoring armor for that because it is your body failing. It is not the okay. armor. So that's the part that ignores armor. But the actual wave of, like, rot and force that emanates out from it hits all of you with this paralyzing, like, rotting scream Everybody manages to, like, hold it back. But Lola, something about this gets through to you. And you can feel that overwhelming feeling of fear that your body is going to rot and betray you become real for you. But even though you are sick, even though you can feel it still inside of you, that initial overwhelming force is blunted by the magic of John's armor. Would you call it a wave of annihilation? I don't know, but I... I, I well, now I'm upset. <laughs> I was, I was going to point out, though, that we fought the Screaming Antelope plenty of times, and yeah. it doesn't ignore armor. It does insanity damage, yeah. but no, it doesn't, at no point does the Screaming Antelope ignore armor. Uh, I fair. would rather we leave my clarity out of this, so... <laughs> Aviva, you're up. Inspired by Lola's call and watching the werewolves rip this thing to shreds, even if those shreds are still kicking, I'm going to try to use the terrain to bolt over there. Basically dedicate everything I can to get within range. If that means like launching myself from like the rocks, using <laughs> almost like going all out but for movement. Roll me uh, athletics, either strength or stamina. Mm. Nothing. You are hurrying as hard as you can, but you will not get there until next round. Understood. John. John will kind of stop nauseous and he'll just kind of puke at his feet and rally, spending the inspiration to regain control of his actions. Gain a willpower. And he will wipe 
some of the muck from his like nose and mouth and steady his gun to the best of his ability. And in hopes of getting matter to the spirit, he is going to pull the trigger and shoot it. Uh, yeah, make me an attack roll. Does his defense apply against ranged attacks? Yes, it does. Okay, so what's its defense? Nine currently. Uh, so I'll roll a chance die. Okay, I miss. Okay, the gun goes off, and I mean, the bullet might get in the general area, but like, Jesse. Yeah. You're up. Take a bashing, and you are currently at minus one. This is the second round of the Aura of Sickness. Jesse will leap up onto the uh, the head of this thing with a, you know, monstrous-looking Urshul paw. will grab onto the uh, antlers of this and kind of basically uh, savage its face so he can kind of look into its eyes and through... These horrible teeth will growl out in first tongue. I've stolen your fear. Your power's mine. And start basically just tear away at its face. Maybe it's that roll. Once again, he'll go all out. I do check. There are no Bashulu here, right? Roll me a wit's composure. Nope, no successes. No, probably not. <laughs> I'm convinced. <laughs> And its defense is eight at this point. Eight. I'll do a single point of damage. Okay. Lola. Her bones hurt. She doesn't like this. You're a minus one die. Immediately take a bashing. Mm-hmm. Her cheeks seem to sink in a little bit. Just she gets pale and her, her naturally good cheekbones are very pronounced at this point. Is John obviously looking around? I mean, he just fired a gun. Okay. And then looked around. And then looked around, yeah. She'll, I guess, look around. If we get jumped by something while the big fighters are up there, we should at least see it coming. Make a wit's composure. And you are at minus one. Nope, don't see shit. <laughs> no, no, probably not. It's fine. Everything's probably fine. Probably fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. So I might have actually been wrong about my speed. I just was looking at retribution for plans for punching this thing. Okay. The first thought. So going after this thing for retribution, that would be uh, would put you at a speed 11. And then you could, in theory, use the final girl to be even faster. This I, I realize that's uh, retroactive. I'm letting you know for positioning moving forwards. With that much speed, you can basically get wherever you need to go. Okay. Up, up once you get up there next round. Cool. Dan, before I let you take the 14 spot, mm -hmm. it may be important who goes first here, so I'd like you to roll off with me. Sure. Could be just based on initiative bonus. What's your initial bonus? Eight. You go first. You got him. You are now at minus three, and you take an ag. I'm essentially just going to upper claw it. Okay. Three damage. Exactly three. Correct. You go to attack it, just a massive upper claw. As you do so, you can feel, having been around it and this close to it this long, like literally even your Garu flesh starting to rot away from the bone. Describe to me how Dan kills Rot's caress. There's got to be some parts of this that are kind of somewhat normalized. Um, it so, has a, a, a bone, it has a skeletal structure. Right. So I think more than likely, I, I upper claw it while it's busy with dealing with Jesse's thing. 
punch through the the brain and the 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 cavity like right underneath where my brother is and then it kind of just rip all of that back out and just like a gigantic spray of like stuff away mildly away from me i'm not terribly interested in being covered in more of this stuff i mean it's a little late for that yeah but, but yeah yeah i mean it's gonna suck soon so like it's it's a little bit like that and um the whole head part just comes down and off and through that part the meat and the fingers and the hands that's all rotting just like sloughs off turns into this like the structure that gave it a generalized shape starts to come apart mm. and it just falls starts falling apart dead the fingers like slowly but surely the insectoid fingers the little maggots are like the last things to stop moving like twitching and falling apart on the ground and as it dies couple things happen one overall that louder like more carrion feast voice that rot's caress would give out gives out this like piercing shriek that is cut off as dan finishes it jesse some of like the dying fingers some of the last of like the little insects use their last strength to pull themselves together into this little vague approximation of a face and just says Thank you. It's like the last vestiges of what was taken recognize what the Uratha have done for it as it dies. Jesse will look to Dan. Now that it stopped fighting, he shifts down to Dalu, still gripping onto the uh, to the rotten antlers um, of the face that he was holding, and just kind of sits with the head of it and kind of just stroking it kind of mournfully. And to Dan says, This is our sacred prey, brother. Drink deep. And I will spend a willpower to imbue him with the right of Siskarda. My last willpower, actually. And for the moment, the Uratha have successfully hunted their sacred prey. And then there is a chittering. And here's how we're going to do this. Because everybody's tired. There are dozens of little rats and creatures. I was actually counting on this. What Jesse would like to do is he would like to feign surprise that the Beshalu are striking now. I think the person who's going to have the hardest time with this is going to be Dan because he's already been running all night. But I would like to gather up the pack on the backs of two dire wolves. And I would like to try and flee this place and lead the Beshalu to that location that I've already scouted. Roll me a subterfuge. Sure. Also, you're going to have to communicate this to everybody. Absolutely. Uh, important question. Yes. Can we cross at that location? You don't know. Okay. One success. Hoping you get three and spend that inspired. Oh, uh, so was I. <laughs> okay, for the moment, you have a few moments to RP before, like, a swarm of rats is going to be crawling all over everyone. Are we still under the gravely sick condition? Yes. Okay. How much essence can I consume? How long are you guys taking? Assuming that I am leaving time to roleplay with everyone to just gather them up onto me to leave, I need to just take as much as I can in a single gulp. And then 
be out of here. And trust that the rest of it will go to good use to repairing this place. If you're doing it quick, you'll be able to take six essence. Perfect. If you guys are taking the time to continue to ritual, but essentially ritualistically devour your conquered prey, you guys, there is so much essence from Rot's caress that you'll be able to go to full. Might he have a few moments more because Lola and John are not currently up at the cliff? Yeah, we're actually still pretty far away. Like, multiple runs of combat away. He's got more time. It depends on if he wants to go down and scoop people up. So, with a smile, he looks at Dan and says, We need to flee. Follow my lead. All right. Aviva's kind of skidding on in. She, I imagine it's the effect of pressing on a gas pedal that she was increasing in speed as she was hurtling towards the two of you, sort of finding her feet again after losing that insensate tilt. But she should be able to reach you right about then. Do I see how fast she's moving? Uh, I mean, yeah. And you know that I can actually move faster. He, his head snaps around and he, you can see that he's got a devilish Jesse grin on his face. That actually just kind of stops Aviva for a second. She kind of, like, eyes flick up and down as if... Uh, Jesse? Jesse. Okay, Jesse. We're fleeing. Follow my lead. We need to scoop up John and Lola. Do not let these rats, rats catch us. Got it. And that means that once we are moving, Rob, I'm going to have a couple different declarations as to what I'm doing with my plasm. Okay. Off the bat, I will spend th- the three plasm to... Access my remembrance trait, fleet of foot. Okay. Uh, after he communicates all that in Dalu, he realizes he doesn't have time to pause and transform, so I will spend one of those fresh essence to immediately be in, in our shul, um, and which I think your shul's our fastest form, right? Yep. Lola. Lola just kind of on instinct starts walking towards the wolves and Aviva. She's not moving so great. She's just clearly uncomfortable, but not, like, physically hampered. There are now circles under her eyes. John, are you always able to see her without her mask? Mm Mm-hmm. She's losing petals. The flowers are wilting and rotting like Mm -hmm. they were left in water for too long. Take a bashing. And now that Rot's Caress is dead, roll me a resolve plus stamina. Will I also be taking that? Yes. Now that Rod's Caress is gone, the ag downgrades to the lethal level. Right. Am I still down one? Uh, no, not for this. Because this is to this is the stamina roll against it. No successes. Three successes. Okay. Would a critical success be more helpful to me in this situation? So, yeah... If so not, just you will one. be downgrading by one more. Mm-hmm. You will be going into the bashing, and then the bashing will go away as you guys go. Yep. If you want to blow a crit success right now, you will just get rid of the whole thing. And gain a willpower. Yeah, let's do that. And I'm also shifting down into Urshul, and I am eating Rot's Caress. And okay. I will probably take a round or two because I am... Tapped. Tapped. All right. So if uh, they can get up to me, I can take them out of here, but like I need a... If you take a couple rounds... Yeah. Then you can go up to full. If you take like a few, you may be cutting things tight. Yeah, I'm going to take six for now, and then we'll see how the rounds go out. Okay. Lola just kind of grabs John's arm and starts pulling him after her if he's not already 
making the trip on his own. John looks at her like she's being a little ridiculous as she like rots. And he puts his arm around her and starts helping her up towards the werewolves. Thank you. Of course. Her eyes probably look a little roomy, like little yellowish tears. The Swanson should know what's going on with you. John, now that Lola is touching you, roll me a stamina plus resolve. You're a factor. One success. You will not have to roll for this again. You are not infected with the rot. The Lola rot. He doesn't seem to mind it and just continues. Mm-hmm. All of you managed to get up to the top. Uh, the two of you managed eventually to get up to the top where the werewolves are. Uh, Erica, I need one more stamina resolve. Do I take another bashing? You take another bashing first. Um, at this point, Jesse is basically going to be trucking down to them uh, to carry them off with us. At this point, Lola doesn't look so hot. For the normal person side, she looks a little feverish. For her flower side, there are holes in some of the leaves. One success. You still have all that damage, mm-hmm. but the rot is no longer progressing. You're not in danger of suddenly becoming fully gangrenous. Sweet. You are not okay, but the last vestiges of rust, rot's caresses influence begin to fade as the werewolves devour his essence and Jesse trots down to you guys. Aviva's right behind Jesse. What are you guys doing? Lola will go where she's put. Aviva will indicate that she can grab someone, but she's looking to Jesse for his plan. So I think that Jesse will probably snatch up Lola because she's probably the, the lightest of all of you. Mm-hmm. He'll indicate to Aviva that maybe she should grab John and we should give Dan a free back since he's been trucking it and if you know they do catch up with us he, you know he might be our rear guard in that case i'll be using some call okay i want you to princess carry john it's not gonna be that pretty <laughs> uh he has striking looks it will absolutely be that pretty. yeah, yeah. we you both, both have do. striking looks yeah, it will that, be that, so i don't know really what you're talking pretty. about yeah it's well. definitely gonna be double as pretty right <laughs> aviva roll to dawn the call Two successes. Okay, so you successfully done the call. Describe your horrible transformation into a speed 24 monster. Having spent two plasm, I have four. The path that Jesse indicated is that through a populated area. The direction that he indicated, you can see weird reflections of what would be the town of Asheville. Doesn't really necessarily reflect like it would in the real world, Mm -hmm. but the idea of civilization and lights have a weird flicker in the distance. Yeah, thank you. So in that case, I'll be combining two of the enhancements. As she extrudes the call, first there's a warping of her. That lengthening of her limbs, the spindliness of her fingers, like the stretching in her ankles and her wrists which will allow her to move at twice her normal speed on the ground. That effect of being able to climb walls and ceilings quickly too. But secondly, and I will spend the remaining three call charges on causing my body to grow. That will be three plasm to the first effect. For flavor reasons, I don't really see it being like a death bloat. 
per se. That feels more like Rod's caress. So I'm seeing more like, I think I described it previously as just a resizing, like almost like a stretching. And with that new size, with Aviva becoming more and more of herself, taking up more space on the landscape, she gains strength. One dot of strength as she's gained three sort of size. But with that strength, she reaches out to John to indicate that she'll carry him. With what's going on in terms of a plan starting to click into place, he accepts the gesture from Aviva. She pulls him onto her back, and fueled by the speed of both her own strange changes, the guy sort of wrapped around herself in that physical way of the call, but also internally giving her the knowledge of just how fleet she can be in a run. With your increase in size and increase in strength and increase in speed plus your fleetness uh, abilities from your remembrance of the final girl, you are currently speed 32. (laughs) She tests her speed and looks to Jesse. Drop me at the exit to cut them off. Unfortunately, Jesse's at this point in direwolf form. You don't understand first tongue. She asks the question. She spots that you're a wolf. She rolls her eyes and goes, ugh, and continues on. <laughs> Lola is just kind of sprawled out across Jesse's back, just kind of like her head kind of buried in his shoulder blades and her fingers like holding on tight to his fur. She's not bad at being carried, but she clearly just is waiting for this feeling to go away. Is the group of you set off quickly in the direction of where the factory is by the old play place location that Jesse had scouted before to help to trap the rats. Fuzz kids? Yeah. (laughs) Fuzz fuzz kids. (laughs) That's if the werewolves owned it. And so before we get there, with your guys' speed, you will be able to, uh, and leaving when you do, you will be able to outpace the rats. But you're also running sort of in the direction of the rats. So you'll be able to get there before they get there. I will just need one thing before you start to set up the trap. In the Heseal, right across the street from the factory, there is one member of the group who hasn't seen this yet. Lola. Mm-hmm. You've been having a bad day. Mm-hmm. And as they speed across the reflection of the town towards the factory, you see the massive spire, the horrible tower of iron, rusted iron that stretches into eternity not hidden from you on this side of the gauntlet, and I need a resolve composure check. Gonna spend my only willpower on this. Three successes. Then you also manage not to go insane. Hooray! As you recognize this to be alien even to this place, and something that very specifically is never touched upon in Arcadia or in the Hedge. Something that is outside of any realm that you have yet been to or understand. It is unsettling to look at, but you manage to keep your shit together. Is Dan currently a wolf? Yes. Aviva also looks over to Dan and says, You okay? I'm sorry I should have done this earlier. She kind of gestures. She can't really gesture. Her hands are a bit full, but she, like, with half of a hand gestures, uh, aggravated that the speed is now and not from later. 
She's clearly not really expecting a response. Uh, I think he will spin around himself mm. and then keep going. An indication that he's doing okay. She looks to the rest of the group to see where people are at. And once she got that confirmation from Dan, it kind of cracks a bit of a rogue grin on her changed face. But she looks over the group and her eyes fall to Lola. Lola is staring at the tower. How long has it been, like, in real world time, not in rounds, that we've been running? A few minutes. Okay. Um, So she's still feeling pretty sick. She just kind of mumbles, it's breaking the world and pretending that it can hold it up. Oh, shit, you see it too. You alright? If I say I'm fine, you're gonna call me a liar. Yeah, definitely. Not okay, but I'm okay. Close enough, I guess. It's about this point, as you guys arrive at the location, that you see a swarm of dozens of Shartha. Dozens of little fucking rats. uh, Some of them already inside bodies that, with their weakened gauntlet, being brought over to those that have seen them before, specifically the like the Uratha who know a little bit more about what the Beshalu are, some of them look sick or like half rotted. You get the very distinct idea that Rot's caress was I mean, they were already doing what they were going to do, but it may have been directing them to speed its escape the last day or so. But they are coming for the weakened Uratha. Do these look different from the rats Lola has seen? It's the same as when you and Dan were in the basement, basically. No priest, none of them are quite as big as the ones that were there, but there's a lot of them. But the ones in the basement also looked sickened like this? They did not look quite as sickened. In this, uh, I guess in the same way. They look sick because they are the remnants of the Plague King. Right. But they, they did not look this rotten. Instead of twin tails and mutations and cancerous growths. I mean, they still have those, but then some of them have, like... Withered limbs Withered limbs and, and, like, gangrenous flesh. Jesse, tell me what the plan is now that you've led them here. Because they will be on you soon. So my idea is to funnel them into the fuzz kids and to use the nature gift knotted paths. What this does is when I lead prey into a pre-designated area, it is going to be a contested role of wits, survival, and honor versus their composure and primal urge. If I succeed, they will be trapped here for a day, unable to find the way out of this maze that I've led them into. If I exceptionally succeed, then not only that, but they lose track of one another and gain the shadow uh, paranoia condition. Have you communicated to everyone that you're running over here what you're doing or what their part in this is? Like, what are the next steps after you trap them for a day? So my, my plan at that point is that if we can trap them inside here, we can have a discussion outside of the Fuzz Kids about how to eliminate them all. Whether that's burning the place to the ground, or the Aratha kind of going in and catching them one at a time if we manage to separate them out between there. But at this point, 
we will have trapped them in a place where they uh, they cannot leave to come after us. And since they're all there, we can kill them all. Not just a few of them and then have them flee when they realize that they've lost. Okay. So all of you have arrived here outside of the Fuzz Kids. And you are standing outside of this reflection of what used to be a very fun place for kids. When you say reflection in the Hisseal, here's where my mind is going and tell me if I'm not right. Is it like kind of almost as if everything that the kids could have played with is like more like like higher slides or like stretched out playgrounds like like is it bigger in the imagination how does it translate so the hedge is more the realm of the imagination right but Mm. the the idea of this place right like the the concept of what this place was was one of imagination and adventure and small risk Mm. for children so yes like the the ball pit is deep Mm-hmm. The slides are long and dark. Uh, the chasms over which the rope swings seem cav- like cavernous. The the twisting plastic tunnels mm-hmm. are truly maze-like. However, this place has been falling into neglect for years and years. So now it also reflects the idea of failed business, empty storefronts. So it almost seems haunted. Sort of a similar feeling to... A child's memory of an amazing playground they used to visit. This is the reflection of childhood joy that will never be again. Knowing that this was the sense of the plan before, is there... Can I rile the rats up for him a bit? If you... Maybe maybe look like... No, I'm not terribly good at that. Uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> you want to rely on your manipulation pool there, Dan? Yeah, that was like, oh, maybe I can look like I'm hurt. I'm like, wait. To be totally I'm, fair, you are hurt. Yeah, I mm-hmm. do have aggravated damage on me. I have, like, missing things. But, like, I was going to do, like, that limping paw thing, and I was like, wait, I just ran all the way here. This would be dumb. I mean, it'd be a Dan planet for sure. But <laughs> <laughs> so whatever is going to happen, yeah, let's have it happen. I think I can rile them up by just insulting them more if you really like. Lola kind of looks to Jesse. Do you need me off of you for this? No. He he kind of like nods his, a big wolf head at you. Like stay stay on, hanging on to him. She kind of nods and just kind of secures herself a bit more. Aviva shifts just so that John can have as much freedom as possible if he needs to cast. From both the factory and like coming up from the, where the sewer grates would be is just a swarm of these rats. Once the group of us get inside, Jesse is going to spend an essence to use his warding gift, which allows him to know where all of the locks in this place are. And from there, he can ask the spirits of those locks to either open or close. And he will create for himself a path that he knows is going to be open so once you are inside, because of the kind of the nature of the place that you, I mean, there's a it would be a lock on the front door in the real world, right? So the the right. reflection of the door is locked. There's a lock going into like the offices in the back and the alley behind. Other than that, nothing else in here is locked. They didn't it, like the nature of the place that you chose mm-hmm. is both labyrinthine and very, and very open. 
for sure. He will um, lead the group of them th- through the labyrinthian play structures, hoping to begin to disorient the swarm of Beshalu. While you guys are going through these old, like, you know, reflections of old plastic slides and ball pits and, you know, those, like, matted foam pyramids that, like, in the middle of the ball pit. John, your family was wealthy growing up. Sudden memory of a birthday party here a long time ago with two people behind your chair, you know, as the party goes happy birthday rather than just one. You must have been, like, four, like, very young. John kind of shifts uncomfortably looking over the area as what are now kind of becoming reframed into bad memories start to hit him. Am I hurting you? No, 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 you're fine. Jesse, make me the contested roll here. I have three successes. Which is one more than two. I will make that an exceptional success. All right. The group of you managed to scramble around in here for a little bit. And you can, like, hear the chittering and and shrieking of these things pursuing you until you burst out of one of the doors back onto the street. And nothing follows you. And the group of you are back on the street in front of the factory and in front of the fuzz kids. But no rats pursue. Aviva still looks ready to run. She's looking at Jesse for the next step. I'll shift up to Dalu. With an exceptional success, if the prey is in a group, they rapidly split up, losing track of each other and giving in to fear, and they gain shadow paranoia. Nothing pursues you out of the fuzz kids. Jesse shifts down into his normal Hasil, and he looks very pleased with himself. I assume you mean normal human form? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, he is what I mean. Normal old Jesse... And he kind of plops down in the Hasil and just kind of looks happily at his group of friends and kind of motions back and forth between them and the fuzz kids going, huh? Huh? When he transforms, Lola just kind of, oh shit, and holds on for dear life as the thing she's holding on to just starts changing shapes. Mm-hmm. All right, Lola. It's not getting worse. All right. She'll like, once he's in a man form, she'll like, Cautiously put her feet down. Whoa, whoa, what happened to you? Rot's caress. Oh, jeez. Why are we stopped? Well, they're caught in there. Okay, like forever, or... Well, no, it'll be a day, but I'm pretty sure they're all lost inside of there. I don't even think they actually... At this point, I don't even know if, they, if they're sure where other members of their group are. So we can pick them off at our leisure. Well, or, I mean, maybe we could burn the place down. We'd probably have to entreat some kind of fire spirit to help us with that. Rats run when places burn. Aren't they able to cross the gauntlet? Well, normally, the answer to all of those things would be yes. But I have used a gift I have learned from spirits, kind of like your hedge, that will trap them inside there. For the rest of, the, for the rest of this day, they will not know how to escape. All right. So, even if it's burning... He smiles real big. And even if we burn it, they don't burrow out into the real world. You'd have to know where to burrow, wouldn't you? I guess. The gauntlet strength in this area is not as weak as it, they've made it in other places. They would not be able to just chew their way through. Also, they're turned around enough that they actually don't even know which, which way the gauntlet is. I mean, it's all around us, but... 
Aviva's still in action mode, and so she's definitely still oversized and holding John, not really convinced that this is the end of the run. You're bigger than the Hissiel than I remember. That's cool. When would you last remember me in the Hissiel? Uh, never, I just... John's gonna look in through a window. So, not just... So you haven't only affected their ability to perceive directions, but their ability to use their innate ability to sidestep? Well, I haven't, haven't really thought about it that deeply. But that's, I thought that's why we would need a fire spirit, like you said. We would, so we could burn on the Hisseal and burn on... Well, I don't have a lighter here. I don't, do you have a lighter? I got my matches. Yeah, I got a lighter. He kind of looks at you wondering if whether or not you're able to burn a building down. I, I don't mean, know if a match is going to do it. Yeah, I mean, it probably won't burn an entire building down. Yeah. Everything burns. Either yeah, that. I know. Either that or we just go in in formation. They won't be able to stack up in the same way. Just start slaughtering our way through them. John's like weirdly tender with the Aviva monster when she kind of like voices her irritation at things burning. I don't know if I can help. We do a little wedge formation. We keep Lola and John in the back and the three, me, Aviva, and Jesse could be more in the front and just clear and sweep our way through. I'm going to try something. Sure. Rob. Yes. I'm going to attempt to exhale death and freeze over an area. Because I don't actually know whether or not that works here. Is it one of those weird edge cases, Rob? This whole fucking game is a weird edge case. Uh, <laughs> I guess he's... T- right, so Do you want to look at the... I, I, would, Lex, I would <laughs> love to see the spell, please. I mean, you know, John Taggart's kind of an edge case himself. <laughs> so they say. <laughs> I mean, you're exhaling it, so theoretically you're putting it here. But death isn't no, here? Yeah. So <laughs> death is here. Well, death what it is does here. is it takes so it drains the heat out of an area and causes it to be like the temperature to drop below freezing. Ah, so we're at the opposite of arson now. But is the heat heat or is the heat the spiritual concept of heat? <laughs> and if that's the spiritual concept of heat, what are the fire spirits, bro? <laughs> and I try not to think about this, but I have to. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you just hit it really hard, it dies. Dan, are you okay? I'm missing like a patch of, there's definitely some skin on my like arm and shoulder that is like bad looking. Probably looks like kind of a burn type deal at this point. You don't, you don't look okay. Make your roll. Okay. John starts speaking in high speech. He gets the glowing eyes. The use of his mana starts to flare and he casts a spell. I have four successes. With four successes, you and those around you, slightly covered in frost, as this goes off, you affect all of it. It's like you affect all of you. It is all of you get this unnatural, deathly chill coming off of John. The Fuzz Kids itself is unaffected, but you and everything who that you brought with you is cold. Now I'm not going to hit you with the extreme cold. Uh, or like ice over tilts or keeping anything. Keeping it up for more than yeah. a round. So. But the Fuzz Kids itself is not affected. Uh, there is no actual cold of death or cold here, and your death sphere cannot find purchase in the realm of spirit. Yeah, I wasn't sure if the rats, because they're not actually spirits, are affected. Buck, that is a really good point. Mm. Yep. That's why I was asking. It's kind of a weird situation. <laughs> That's the big problem with the rats, is they are not spirits. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> ah, you're super right. So here's what happens. <laughs> so this is not necessarily fully seen in there, but for all of your purposes, John, you'll see a little bit like near the window, right? Like a little. Yeah, I'm specifically by. peering into the yeah. window yeah. I'm and actually, exhaling cold into the building. Yeah. I actually figure that if he is motioning that he's trying to like get a better view and or like reach into the window that I'm still size eight. John, you could probably get helped up to stand on my shoulders to do this. Get in there. You're about the size of Rot's caress. Yeah. Are we fumigating a fuzz kids with death magic? Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> Excellent. So here's what you see. John, you exhale. Aviva, you feel it the most uh, after John. Just mm-hmm. this deathly sense of cold. But the building, the window, the ground are not at all affected. It just doesn't seem to do anything. Except... In the light coming in through the window, you see one of, and it's not even in a swarm, it's just like one rat, horrible polyp, like off the side of its face, like missing some fur on one side, running around, essentially running around in circles, unclear of where it's supposed to go or what's going to happen, like looking for the swarm, a eusocial animal without any other animals around. And while none of the ice, none of the, the, the deathly breath that you exhale affects anything within that fuzz kids. The Shartha, the Beshalu, which is not actually fully spirit, begins to slow, begins to get like lethargic. There's like frost that goes over it, but nothing else. Yeah, what what I'm essentially doing is I'm not targeting my companions because that would be kind of a no, obviously, a stick move. Yeah. but I'm, cold. but I'm turn. Essentially, I'm turning the building into a freezer for a day, since they cannot escape, and they have no way of dealing with the extreme cold tilt that you just put on the place. They cannot escape. Jesse and John together turn the old fuzz kids at least for the Beshalu inside into a freezer. And before the day is out, every single living thing in that old fuzz kids who is trapped, every one of the Beshalu will slowly freeze to death. An important thing about that is uh, I will turn the four successes into an exceptional success, which makes it stronger. Uh, It also refunds all of the mana I spent on it and regains me one. And I regain a point of willpower. How much mana did that cost you? Was that? Initially? It's uh, three mana burn. Damn. Yeah, cost less if you use uh, ice lands for that? or <laughs> Yeah. <sighs> Between Jesse and John, they have the interesting set of skills to trap someone in a place and freeze them to death. And because the Beshalu are leaderless, there is no one in there who is strong enough to shake either of those effects. I love it when a plan comes together. If there are any Beshalu left in town, which, you know, there may be one or two, you know, like, it happens sometimes. I'm sure there are, but, like... It's the problem with Shartha. It's the problem with Shartha. But, for all intents and purposes, the Beshalu are completely dealt with. And then, there is a great movement in the sky above all of you. And for those of you who have not seen it before, a massive owl with like an eight foot wingspan, green and like 
wings made of leaves and vines with legs and a neck that are way too long for a normal arrow shape. There are no branches in this area, but it alights upon basically a telephone pole. And it's a little mind-boggling. Like, how does it not buckle under the weight of this massive thing? And it looks down and twists its head and looks at Jesse and at Dan and then back at Jesse and says, So swiftly you acted against Rot's caress. And then it just looks at you, both of you. Moving its head and its eyes are all black, so it's sometimes tough to see like who exactly it's looking at. But it's spent enough time around Aratha that you can tell like its head movements are maybe like a polite indication of where its focus is. I will perform the same kind of bow I did for um, Carrion Feast, and then I will go, Great Spirit, I offer you a piece of our hunt, and I will offer it to Essence. It nods and bows. I watched hours upon hours. Did you chase your prey and harry it? What did you learn in that time of it? I learned that it was singular focused. It was very determined to seek revenge and freedom against the Aratha. And I decided to try to use that against it. The Watcher and Branches doesn't make any extra movements. It doesn't make any noise or say anything. But this, like, air of smug satisfaction at the death of the thing that used to be Carrion Feast is, like, overwhelming. Even those of you who are not Aratha can feel like, yeah, he was a petty, vengeful fuck, and now he's dead. Like At that air, Aviva has had... You know, an edge of defensiveness, but the body language of the werewolves is probably enough to let her know that this is someone that they communicate with. But specifically at that, I mean, not quite malicious, but certainly petty air. I assume these words have been not understandable, right? This is all in first tongue. Yeah. So not being able to partake in the conversation at hand, she starts another and looks over to Lola Checking in on the wounded, sickened Ferris to see if this is something that her mind can handle. The strange appearance of the owl thing, at least in Aviva's perspective, along with everything else. She's just casting a glance over to check in. There is definitely an initial alarm as this owl-like creature kind of descends on them. And her first instinct is to, because of how quickly Dan acts, she rolls onto her knees in sort of like a child's pose and just kind of offers deference with her body language, not knowing how to properly honor this thing, but trying to appear as something that's not a threat or an offense. And she kind of tilts her head to kind of see what the others are doing. And she catches Aviva's eyes. Lola's eyes are wide, but she's there. That's all Aviva was looking for. It turns its gaze back towards Jesse after Dan offers it the essence and the explanation. And you, young Uratha, Hunter, what did you know of your prey before you struck? I knew that a, a Mageth of that size would be seen by everything in the Husil, including the Shartha it was manipulating. A dramatic finish and death at, a, at the quarry 
would draw the Shartha into a chase. And now we've put them into a locker where they will not come out of ever again. He kind of beams at his handiwork in the frozen interior of the Fuzz Kids. The Watcher and Branches looks at Jesse and then looks like very clearly, it's a little unsettling, turns its gaze on the other three members of this pack. Lola is indicating her respect through her posture. Aviva will not be shifting, but if John has, you know, intention to say get down or something like that, she certainly will let him. John, he does get down, but he kind of, like, sticks close to Aviva. Kind of while, like, you know, under her, like, wingspan. Do you have wings right now? I do not. Uh, okay. It's one of the few terrible things I did not do this Just time. wanted to check. <laughs> uh so yeah, he, he hangs by her and is largely going to be keeping an eye on the exchange, but doesn't really interfere in Uratha business. It turns its gaze back to Jesse and Dan, seeming to watch both of them at once for a second, and then gives a little nod, barely perceptible movement, and then with a great unfurling of wings, is up and in the sky. And those of you who are here would notice perhaps that there is no, for wingspans flapping that size like that close to you, just up a telephone pole, there is no wind that hits the ground. There is no noise as it flies. Owls are silent hunters. And it returns to the tree line. Jesse, Dan, Hank used to complain occasionally about the Watcher and Branches, about how it did not take mortal timelines seriously, and that even its praise was silent or like just not forthcoming at all. And you remember one time long ago when Hank and his pack had done something. You don't remember what, but it was something good. They were proud of themselves. And Hank made some sort of offhand remark about how the Watcher and Branches didn't say shit. So they must have done a pretty good job. And as it glides back into the tree line, the five of you are left in the Hesil. And for the Aratha, as like the noises of the city, the noises of the Hesil start to pick back up after the excitement of the combats. The thought that this place is extraordinarily dangerous, even when Magath are not about, starts to creep back in. We should go to the Locus at the church. It'll be easy for them to get out there. And hopefully there won't be any Beshalu left. It shouldn't be any people around at this time, but it is morning. Yeah, but isn't the church closed after you mess it up? Yeah, that's my thought. I can go across first, and then we can take a look. Lola, you want a piggyback ride? I'm still like this for a bit. She nods and hops on. Done, we'll help her up. See ya. She's actually good at getting into holds of being carried. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that people aren't going to try to help you that is while super you're very fair. visibly messed up. Yeah. No, we're all just going to princess carry you. Right? <laughs> just carry me above you all. Other than a, a cursory check when coming out of the, the locus, as long as everything's clear. Yeah, it's very early in the morning. You guys can get to the location on this side where the church is. Obviously, the gauntlet is still thin over there from where the Beshalu had been chewing away at it or that locus is dry as of right now. However, Dan, you step back across. 
There's nobody there. And all of you, in fact, can go back across this way. The gauntlet is thin enough. And this is technically a locus point, so the ritual will allow you to help them get back across. Nobody lost their coins or anything on the way. And so you can step back across into a demolished church basement. It has not been fixed yet. There's massive water damage. Wood paneling stripped off the wall. Parts of the ceiling collapsed. No power. Good But grief. there's no one around. You guys really did a number on this place, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Aviva will be sure to allow her geists to disconnect and for the effects of call to drop before she gently sets Lola down and they cross through. She goes very quiet just at the damage to the place and vaguely starts walking around trying to pick books up off the ground. Alright guys, I've been running for like six hours straight. I need to eat the largest hamburger you've ever seen and I need to sleep for like a day. Honestly, I think we're all pretty gassed. You guys want the largest hamburger you've ever seen also? Yeah. I want mozzarella sticks, please. I'll swing by the diner. Are you guys... How can we get you medical care before hamburgers? No, I'll be fine in a couple days. You will? Yeah. If I, if I go to my dream, I can heal up. Okay, but are you going to go to your dream and then we're going to go to your dream again? Or are you actually going to get better? I'm going to get better this time. I won't go exploring. I might say hi to Turkey Tail, but I won't I won't go exploring this time. I'm just just getting better. Hi to Turkey Tail, I guess. Cool. You're giving us your word on that? Yes. She will spend a glamour to reinforce the weight of her own words. Dan remembers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dan does remember, and Dan also remembers the feeling. So right now when she says yes, all of you know she means yes. All right. Good job, everyone. Group hug. Group hug. (laughs) Lola (laughs) enters the group hug pretty willingly. And on this side of the gauntlet, all of you hugging in the basement, if you're all participating, I don't know if you all are. Aviva can be corralled, but she will not do so of her own uh, instinct. She's corralled. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a it's a grapple check, but I also think he wins that against all of us. <laughs> Once the hug ends, Lola will do the fist bump into jellyfish to both the werewolves. All hugging in this church basement, all this close. One other thought occurs to everyone before you all head off for the night to rest and eat. Take a couple of days at least. You guys fucking stink. You reek of rot and meat the lingering stench of rot's caress like you've been rolling around in a carcass i feel like i feel like the smell of that is very different in the hasil from the real world and whenever you encounter rot like that it's awful but then after a few minutes your nose is a keep, like acclimates and so, you just understand that this is your life now I just assumed but the spirit coming, stuff wouldn't come with us well I was going to say coming back into the real world we no, we're no longer acclimated because it's a new kind of smell like it's a spiritual stink in the, in the hasil <laughs> that you have to acclimate to but it, coming back out it's like it's a brand new physical stink Comic-Con it was an active supernatural subway. power but the lingering effects of like rolling around in a rotten body 
sorry, half spirit, Aratha, yeah, 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 you got fine. some stink yeah. on you. You were also running for like six hours. Yeah, Dan also just smells like stress. sweat. Yeah, but that just that just makes me more attractive. That's oh, just God. Okay, where are you guys headed? Lola realistically will go where she's pointed. Realistically, she's anticipating being pointed at John's house. I think that's the general consensus going to John's. So going by the diner, grab some. Je- Jesse's going to check in on the family, make sure that they're all good. A quick call, a quick check in. Yes, there were some rat issues before, and they need to go to the store to buy some new shells. But everyone is alive. You know, scratched, tired, like a little worse for wear, but alive, thanks to the warnings they had gotten before. And all of you gather up, exhausted. The sun is is up at this point. It's like 6 a.m. maybe. You see some people starting to go to work, get some food, and collapse. So everyone goes home to rest to recharge, to maybe just spend some time being friends because there's a feeling of inevitable confrontation coming. So in this time period, you have a few days before the Founders Day Festival and then after that, what John and Dan have found out is Ascension Day. In that time frame, there was supposed to be the wedding of Gary Wallace and Dolores Gardner. It has been canceled, but Gary isn't telling anyone why. At John's house, Kendra is reassured that her home is now rot and rat free. And it's true. She returns thankfully to her home. Estrada is in control of himself and can't avoid his duties at the station forever. And is nervous, but trying his best to keep things under wrap in this time frame in the short time you know a few days to a week that you have before founder's day is there anything that anyone would like to do lola very much wants to talk to john and maybe even bring ernie in on the conversation about the things she saw in ramona's dreamscape okay uh how is ernie unwell he doesn't look to have progressed any further in the time that you've seen him, but he doesn't look any better than the last time you saw him either. So I think John is going to at least, whether it's like brunch or some kind of like, you know, lunch, meet him in the morning, get some coffee. He's going to try to make a point of seeing him. And I think John's going to try to keep him out of this. So if you're all right with it, I think John's going to prefer to, why don't we talk? And then if we really have to bring Ernie into some bad news. It's not, it's not bad news. He was there in what I saw. What did you see, though? I can talk to you about that. Yeah, that'd be good. So Lola has, at some point, has found a notepad of some sort. I'm sure John has some blank notebooks lying around his house. She's probably with permission appropriated one and has started, it's sort of like a, it looks like a conspiracy board written in a book, but it's organized in such a way that she understands what she's looking at. So your mom's dream is a amber dome. I remember seeing it when I left the the hedge for the first time. It was strange to approach it. It was laden with a path of polished gold bricks that I couldn't move. John's eyes widened slightly at the mention of that. 
there are there were other bricks they were not they were they weren't gilded i could still move them she had a, a mayoral sign castro for mayor outside of it and i used one of the the bricks that hadn't been gilded and the sign to break in and i saw your mom's memories okay john kind of shifts in his seat i'm gonna pour a drink are you can I offer you a drink? You can offer me one, but I think I'll just have an energy drink. I can do that. Okay. Some brightly colored can. And we'll sit down with, like, some tequila and a glass. Like, that. bottle, glass. He sits down. <laughs> so the thing that I noticed almost right away about your mom's memories and dreams versus yours, there are runes inscribed over every surface of her dreams like a spell book written over over every surface it was like a madman trapped in one cell and it makes sense to them but it doesn't make sense to anyone else it's not without intent it's just that's what it looks like like she doesn't trust this information anywhere else because i'm not a mind mage i keep a room that has my notes and the discoveries i've made along the path I guess it makes a certain amount of sense that she wouldn't actually need a location. She could use her own mind. So the first memory I saw was uh, your mom, and I'm guessing her sister, were young. Ernie was there. They were eating spaghetti. Your mom and your aunt were talking. There was a blurried figure, masculine, but smudged, unidentifiable, voice like like the Peanuts teacher. It kind of saddens a little. I didn't understand a lot of what they were talking about. Ernie just seemed like he was glad to be there, but your your mom and her sister were... They were t- talking a lot of magic things. They mentioned some things, and things got heated. Because when they started talking about something about a throne, and an egg... Eggs... Eggs art... Egg Wait, zart, Alan, what were they saying about it? Your mom seemed to be on one side of it, and your aunt was on the other, and Ernie and the other guy looked a little uncomfortable about the whole thing. And then a gate. There was something about a gate. John pours the glass. The gate. My mom has the ability to teleport, which sounds like just some another spell, but it's not a spell. She innately... Something is written into her pattern that allows for that. And I think I think it's connected to her relationship with the Akamoth and the Golmoth. She has some sort of association with the Abyss. That would make sense with what comes later. What I saw later. Later? Um, sorry. I'm It's I'm okay. Sorry. I want you to stop and ask questions because these things will make sense to you in ways they don't make sense to me. Okay. It takes a deep breath. And then and then there was a baby crying. And the memory started over again. The shouting woke the baby, guessing it was you. Were there any clues about the man? Stayed by your mom, shaped a little like you. I wonder what it would look like now that we got the box out. I moved out of there. I didn't stop to try and change things. I can do that about dreams, but I, for the kind of magic your mom does, I don't think I would be up to changing something she deliberately laid. It's a good idea to play it safe. Well, I didn't, but I did for then. Okay. 
And then I, the dream sort of was like, like running ahead of me, like closing curtains sort of situation. I got glimpses of other things, but it was like the dream didn't want me to see them. The memories didn't want me to see them. There was a phone call. Your mom, she was in her office and she, she was clearly crying and angry and looked like she thought she needed to do something. And then she wiped her face and turned to a man who's in the He's in the toolmakers union and just says, I'm sorry, family business, nothing you need to concern yourself with. Something like that. Wait, she got the call? I think so. It. And she didn't do anything? Looked like it was at least a hard decision not to. Great. She was slapping Ernie in another. It was later. And then she yelled, Why aren't you angrier? And then. The dream didn't want me to see anymore. And then she was alone, in a void. There was nothing. And when I sleep, I see nothing. I feel nothing. It's just darkness and emptiness, and it reminded me of that. And the only thing there with your mom was these lines that looked like a gate. And then she kind of, it flashed to her being at her desk and looking really mad, and then her face just went, went blank. John lowers his head at that. My mom practices this ideology that believes that the things that compromise our decisions, the way we feel, the roots that we grow in life, she sees them as weaknesses, yes, imperfections. And to her, where we might feel like helping a friend means consoling them when they feel upset or hurt. To her, her preference is to erase and or bind that emotion or anchor as though it's some sort of entity that needs to be bound and crushed and stepped on and overcome. And I'm kind of starting to think that... There's a reason for that. Yeah. So I had to fight my way into her core memory, where she goes, her place. Where does she go? She goes on a date in the quarry with the blurry figure. It's a picnic. A picnic? She's a teenager. They talk about leaving town. They talk about making a life for each other. She says she'll never be happier than this, and I believe that. That's why she hates Aviva. No, I don't think that's why she hates Aviva. So there was a there was a box in the picnic basket, the box that we handed you. It wasn't part it wasn't there when the memory was formed. It was hidden there. So I froze the the dreamscape and I took it. And your mom came back and it got very dicey. But you guys made it out okay? Somehow. I create stories in the hedge in bastions. I can I can make them happen the way I want, and so I didn't want to be alone. And so I made dream actors of all of you. Jesse and Aviva came through for real. And the first- I was a little surprised at that. Yeah, that's never something I've seen either. But the first thing your mom did, even knowing there were real people there, was get rid of the Eidolon of you. She doesn't really dream about me, does she? I think she dreams about you all the time. Just not you think everything she does is about you or the idea of you how I reflect on her 
my place in her life. Maybe. But Jessie stole her keys, and we were able to open the box. I distracted her. I asked her what it was like to feel a love like that, that she knew she would never be happier. And I don't think she remembers. Because she never answered, or maybe she was just trying to give me the runaround. But there was a gateway to another memory in that box. And we went in, and the shape of the figure that had been rubbed out was was made very clear there. He looked very much like you. What's his, who is he? Guessing he's your dad. No, I mean, like, did he have a name? This guy's completely erased. I don't remember anything about him. When we went to the fucking Fuzz Kids, I had this... There was this flash where I felt like I was with the both of them, but even then, I don't... There's just something that doesn't click. You know what I mean? Like... Lola nods. I know what it's like to lose pieces of you. And to not remember. She took that from me. So, here's why what I think happened. Because this is what I saw. Your mom was sitting on the couch. She was tired. And your mom saw and heard everything. She saw and heard everything, felt everything all around her, like the entire town of Asheville yelling and feeling in her body. And this man walked in. She knew there was distance between them, and that was why he was going to spend time with your aunt. (sighs) And she... He lied to her, and she knew it, because she's like you in that way. She sees the truth of things. So she knew it was a lie, and... She took out all the feelings. Everything. She hurled them away. She walked away from him and said, it's over. And I don't know what she meant when she said it was over. But your mom had bad instincts. That was clear from how she fought with her sister. And then she was betrayed by her sister and her husband and she was hurt in ways that she knew about she felt everything she was betrayed in every possible way and it doesn't make what she's doing right but i think she's doing it so you don't feel that and that's why she hates aviva because to her love is just an opportunity to stab you in the back and she doesn't see the irony of that i don't I don't think so. And so if I had to guess, and I don't know enough of your magic to know what's possible and what's not, I have to assume everything is possible with enough of anything, but I think Amber Amber sets things in time. You've seen fossils in Amber, right? Like fossilized bugs, they're exactly as they were the day they went in. Yeah. I feel like this is strictly conjecture at this point. I think the spells scrawled inside your mom's, your mom's mind in the Amber Dome. I think she's planning on something big is going to happen and she's going to throw the future of Asheville into that dark place. Maybe where she throws everything that hurts. And I think this frozen in time memory of good times is going to take Asheville's place. That would be the story I'd write if I'd been hurt like that and didn't want it to happen again. That would destroy me. It would destroy a lot of people. The reason I'm alive is because there is a spell by which someone can be resurrected. Truly. And part of the casting of it requires that the mage 
pass their soul, their awakened soul, onto the person who they are bringing back. And that is why my aunt died. So if she's erasing what happened between her and my aunt. And your father. And my father. I don't know how this plays out. I don't. This I've, is a disaster. If she allowed it, she would be in pain like I I couldn't understand. But that doesn't make that what, what she's doing anything less that we need to stop. Do you think she made Ernie sick? No. No, I don't think she... I don't think she thinks of people enough to try to kill someone slowly or hurt them like that. I think she would just erase him if she wanted to. Even if she wanted him to suffer for not being mad or stopping what was going on? I don't think she understands what suffering is. I think she does more than most. I think she's buried it. I think she fed it to something empty. Right. And maybe those monsters that we face are the pain she's thrown into it. I don't know. I don't oh, know no, how she this didn't works. make those, but she's trafficking with them. And if there's any shot at getting through to her, those things have to go. Which we can do. We have the moves. I just... I don't know... I don't know if there's any way to get my memories back. And if she comes for the rest, I don't know if I can actually stop her just rewriting me. I don't know what the extent of my power is to stop her to do that either. She had told Aviva... She told Aviva that she wanted to just take my pain away. Like, like what she was doing was somehow benevolent. I'm sure to her mind it is. And then she tried to convince... Aviva's presence is a real problem for her, it seems. I think all of us are a problem for her. Yeah. In one way or the other. I just, what I mean is, I wonder if Aviva being here reminds her of her parallels. It might. I think she sees the same story lining up that ended in pain for her and doesn't want that. But I don't know her that well. I had a long talk with her. She said she was clearly didn't want us to see what was in the box. But when we saw, she said there was nothing to be done now. What's done is done. We couldn't stop based on what we saw in that box anyway. And I'm sure she thinks that. I didn't want you to hear this for the first time when I tell everyone. And I wasn't sure if you had a different spin on these things. I think you've got a pretty good read on it. I just... You know... You know how Aviva and I are, are similar in a lot of ways? Yeah. Both of us are tied to death. Did you say both of us have died to death? Tied. We're tied to death. You've technically yes, both too. died to death, <laughs> though. Too. So. She pours a little tequila into her energy drink. She seems to feel strongly about things. Big sense of justice and all that. I don't feel things the way that I used to. It's part of your magic, though, isn't it? In the same way that my mother's obsession with eliminating weaknesses. And I hadn't really considered how numb I was going. I mean, the drinking every night probably doesn't help with that, you know? I'll get off the soapbox in a second, but... But I think you're hurting, too. You just can't feel it. There are people out there who can't feel physical pain, but their bodies still react to it. Fair, but I guess maybe that's my concern. I'm putting my hand on the pot and I don't feel 
that it's burning. Which hot, which pot are you putting your hand on? <laughs> There's a, few a lot of, them. of pots on our stove right now, John. We're preparing a meal for the I feel like I should feel really town. bad that my dad's gone. But to me, he's a perfect stranger. And I don't know. I, I feel like I should care so much. I think you do. I think you just can't feel how much you feel. Hopefully. People who worry about how much they can't feel are probably doing okay at some level. People who don't worry about not feeling things like that, I think those are the people we worry about. I'll keep that in mind. And I mean, if I think you need to feel something, I'll just kick you in the balls, okay? There's got to be another way. I'm sure there is, but that's what came to mind immediately. (laughs) I'll think of something else. Thanks. What else would we like to do in the time between? Just a quick one. Yeah. I uh, get back out to the quarry and I fix Gary's car and I return it back to him. Can I ask you to just pick up the scraps of mine, my motorcycle so they're not a public littering issue? I also pick up her motorcycle and fix Sell it. Sell it for... Oh, shit. Mm, fix her, it. <laughs> I'm going to need a roll if you're going to fix it. It was shredded by a werewolf. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm going to have to replace parts. Because he very deliberately ripped out yeah, part of it. Yeah, he's just going to need to rebuild the carb. That's all. All right. As far as picking up Gary's car, it's very easy to fix. It's just some wires that got chewed through. And you got to pull a couple of rat corpses out of, like, some moving parts. When you drop it back off at Gary's house, he doesn't answer the door. You can just leave the keys in the mailbox, but... He's still there, right? I mean, you can't see him through the window. I mean, I'm not smelling like a dead body. You don't smell any... I mean, you are right now particularly very familiar with the smell of rotting bodies. Right. Uh, You do not smell rot in the air. No. I leave him a note, tell him to come on by after uh, Founder's Day. Okay. And then I'll, I'll take off. What's the stat I'm using on this bike fixing? I mean, it's got to be intelligence. Got to be? Yes. What if I just strength my way? <laughs> I let you do. I let you get away with the strength one for changing the tire. We're going right. <laughs> to... Two successes. Yeah, honestly, you can, you can put it back together without too much problem. A couple of parts, but it's not like you don't know where to get those in town. And yeah, you can actually get her bike into reasonable working order. Probably better than it was. Being the, that I remember, don't push your luck. <laughs> I remember it coming in and not sounding exactly correct, so <laughs> tuning that up a little bit. All right, then you can return Aviva her bike. And yes, you can have like fixed the muffler on the way. <laughs> Look at it. Better than brand new. Oh, shit. I wasn't expecting the whole thing back. Thank you. You just want a tire? I mean, I could. Okay, I had no expectations. I just didn't want it to be a nuisance. Never a nuisance. This is what I do. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no problem. Just uh, say goodbye if you plan on taking off. She does not respond. He leaves it at that. Jesse will um, definitely use that time to go back into the Hasil and begin scouting around. Just the presence of the Beshalu is what caused you know the greater Megath to form. I'm sure there are lesser Megath in the area as well that need to be tracked down and hunted out. He's not looking to get into anything serious, but he's looking to start getting a better idea of what the the shadow is looking like. 
if he if he finds a target opportunity, he might take his brother on a on a short sisker da, and make sure that leading up to Founders Day, the seals in a better spot and they may be full on essence. So dealing with Rot's caress has already helped. Uh, just the natural order of the Hasil. You'll notice that Rot is actually, with the exception around the factory, ideas of Rot are actually coming back into place. The idea of like things being able to die and Rot is coming back into place around the cabin where the Antithanatow showed up. Uh, whether it's what you guys did or time itself being a factor. There are some, but sort of the issues is that Rot's caress, specifically with the nature of what it was, sort of took care of some of the Magath already, just by its very nature. Like, it was a an impressive spirit for Asheville. The quarry, the essence drain at the quarry, it's, it's still not great out there, but it is better than when the Beshalu were being a huge problem. The one area that it is not okay, and that there is still a huge drought, a big problem, is down near the Locust by the factory. Mm. The one that has that tower sticking out of it. The one we were warned to never go near. Yes. Right where the tower is, that is that is still a problem. It is, with a little bit more scouting, you can tell, basically it is eating up the essence in the area, at least in the Hisil side, both attracting and turning away the spirits that you would think would be attracted to the factory. Again, the spirits of industry, pain, faith. There are one or two very minor spirits, very lesser ones that are starved out, uh, you and Dan can hunt. Rot's Caress was big enough in the area that there wasn't really any other major predators at the time. Right now, you guys have things at a level where it is, with that one exception, sort of an equilibrium. It is a drought equilibrium. Like, things aren't fully coming back the way they're supposed to. But it is it is not currently an emergency, if that makes sense. That doesn't make sense. Following up on that, we'll seek out Watcher in the branches. He is your totem. You can find him easy enough now. Jesse finds the totem, kind of sits down and just watches him for a while. Have you seen the tower near the factory? The locust that's in Asheville. The one, and he kind of points off in that direction, instinctively knowing where to point. I am aware of the locust at this place, but he cocks his head at you in a curious bird motion when you mention the tower. Have you seen the thing that grows there? It continues to watch you silently with its head cocked. Does it annoy you that you cannot see it? This elicits a rustling of feathers, like a... Like, the answer is clearly yes, but it doesn't say anything. Have you watched the Hasil near the factory? Hmm. It doesn't answer, but unclear whether that's because there's like not really any branches near the factory or if it doesn't go there or if the answer is no I haven't done that there is something growing there piercing there I'm not sure what what to call it it's causing a drought for spirits in the area in a way that I do not understand if you are a spirit of wisdom share with me what you know or tell me where to find it it doesn't say anything. Probably, and there are two potential options. One, it's annoyed with you. Or two, it has shared with you what it knows about the tower. Mm-hmm. Which is nothing. Jesse kind of narrows his eyes at Watcher. Why did my Uncle Hank tell me to stay away from that locust? Why was he scared of it? 
There has been danger from that part of the Hisil for a long time. For as long as Hank was alive, things happened that caused unruly spirits. Something has been happening there that denies even the most powerful of spirits from feeding upon its essence. Something that worried even the greater Uratha. How long? Long. The spirit has no, like, years-to-years conception of human time. Longer than Asheville has grown? It came with the city. That locust did not exist before the factory. He nods, looking a little bit satisfied, and will leave Watcher to his business in the branches. And as you turn away, he just disappears back into the trees. When Jesse goes out looking for Magath, and if Lola finds out that this is what's happening, she will make him a t-shirt with a sharpie on the back of her uh, Women Want Me Fish Fear Me shirt that just says Magath Census, whatever year it is. (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) I'm not gonna ask for a crafts rule you for should that. not <laughs> it's not good <laughs> is there any other business in the time before the fair that anyone wants to get up to anyone wants to check in on yes but lola has concerns about going to see grandma if she musters the courage let me know mm-hmm. uh, if lola happens to see any of the wanted pictures john warned her about she'll pull them down so as a matter of fact you will the two things that are at this point ubiquitous around town are Castro for mayor signs and missing persons posters that just show a little girl, but John can see and the rest of you know that it is a picture of you, Lola. Good. There's two things to kick down. Are you kicking down telephone poles? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do feel I should note that, like, John will be going out and, like, late at night and he'll just kind of vandalize signs mustaches on all of them and just be you know as rude being a vandal as magic as possible (laughs) being a vandal is so funny if you're a fucking matter mage (laughs) i've reshaped your sign into a dick fuck you (laughs) (laughs) noted and then two nights beforehand all of you you know by consensus meet back up where you were supposed to meet up the very first night that both lola and aviva came back to town at the cabin in the woods with the Swansons and John. I mean, I could start there. I would probably be first making sure everything's looking pretty good as previously done. And maybe as people start arriving, I am out there chopping the gigantic wood pile that we apparently burned through last time. So I actually think uh, John's going to be early as opposed to late this time. And I'll actually help Dan with the wood. I was going to say Lola would make the offer to come and help clean things up. So, what it sounds like to me is Dan. Yeah. You plan to go out to the cabin like you do every year, like you did a couple weeks ago. Sort of anticipating being alone, seeing if people show up. But this time, some of your friends are already there. And instead of quietly setting up the cabin by yourself, not expecting anyone, you all do it together, expecting everyone. That's a nice change of pace. It is. It's wholesome as hell, man. So we get to work. It's probably yep. done in a pretty record time. Yep. Lolo mostly focuses on cleaning the cabin. We uh we have you 
try to chop some wood just for the fun of it. Though she, I'm just going to predict what happens. Uh, she raises the axe up to try and bring it down on the wood, and it drags her backwards until she okay. lands on her butt. Nope. <laughs> John will collect the axe before she hits the ground. <laughs> Let's not do that. All that, right. You've made your point, Lola. You don't have to cut wood. I like your technique. <laughs> you could have just said no. I'm just better with weeding gardens. I think she's onto something with the reverse cut. Yeah, just put the wood behind me. Something that you will all notice while you're out here, that ominous air, that stale feeling that was out here uh, when the Antithanatau showed up and after the Antithanatau showed up uh, in the real world is gone, at least for the moment. There is the smell, not of, like, rot, but of... You know that, like, earthy soil smell? A healthy woods smell. Yes. And there is plenty of firewood to cut. And you still have some that's seasoned from before, so you can actually use it. Gas for the generator. I'll say it's about dusk at this point. Maybe the way that you spot that Aviva came is just a bunch of the Lola posters on the unlit fire. And actually in newer clothes since... They would have been absolutely ruined by the smell and the ick. But she's ready to meet up. She brought cider this time, perhaps to try and get a wider audience. John will go to the car to actually uh, help her bring the drinks back, but then he's going to not help her, and he's going to spend the entire time trying to take the drinks from her, like snaking around her, just like she always does to him. And he'll have to deal with one of them being opened and tipped towards him at ever-increasing increments. He'd play that game of chicken. That's fine. <laughs> He's going to lose that game of chicken. <laughs> Is it losing? <laughs> so he'll probably succeed in his objective and get most of them back, but he'll do it a little fizzy. <laughs> Dan, this is going to sound really weird. Yeah. But I'm glad you invited us. Like the first time or this time? Any time. Every time. Oh. Well, you know, it's good to keep seeing people and, I don't know, hoping for the best. Yeah. Day after day, you never know what's going to happen. That we don't. Yeah. Sometimes there's a big gigantic spirits that want to devour you. Yeah. I felt very specific, but also not. <laughs> and I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. So, I guess, are those things gone? Like, they just take off now they go back to where they came from <laughs> no oh no but we'll be getting rid of them okay I have a plan we'll talk it over i mean don't stop there <laughs> we don't have to start with the plan all right fine we'll talk about it now it is your auspice in the sky now he looks up at the now crescent moon i'm assuming yep so i think i'd mentioned this before but there's a dagger that can destroy the gold moth it is located deep in the underworld. But I am aware of a being that has the power and wisdom to know where it is and open a door into the underworld so that we can get it. If, if my mom is doing what all the signs seem to point to, she's going to be making an effort to prevent us from dealing with this tower, which means she's going to leverage the weapons that she has on hand and that's one of them that we need an answer to. So I plan to do that. Do you still have her keys? I check my pockets. You do not. 
she recalled them. That's okay. Perhaps a cork of fate. Someone dropped them along the way. Sounds like bullshit, but okay. This sounds like the bullshit, but... That's exactly what magic is. Mm. Some of it. Fair. So, um... Uh, we have to deal with the tower. It's got some sort of weak point. Tell me about that, Dan. Yeah, yeah, um... Structural weak points? Let's fucking Death Star this thing, whatever. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what it is. I just know... I know there is one. And I know that it can be affected from this plane here, where we're at now. It can be affected from here. And it's, I think, somewhat tied to the factory in some way. Is this what you guys learned at your cult meeting, or...? I'm gonna uh, crack Dan open a beer. Some serious occult knowledge coming from this guy. Nah, it was more like like when you size up a big guy. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, it saw me, I saw it, and I was like, I can take you down. Okay. He does this whenever he sees something big he wants to punch. As it was like, I don't know, trying to scramble my brain or whatever with sheer existence, it definitely like gave me some general vibes that it was got has a weak point in this realm. Okay. Can I tell you more than that? No. No, no, I didn't. It, it didn't talk to me. Dan, I'm going to ask you, you just told me a lot. That's good. So. That's before Amber started growing a cog out of her brain. The fuck is Amber? And what? The cog was not the first question. You know what? No. I'm made of flowers, even. man. People <laughs> generating <laughs> weird well, body parts. To remind you, we all did go to school with her, so. Oh, yeah. Now that he says we all went to school with her. Oh, Amber. That's, yeah, yeah. Um, Amber from high school? The fuck does she have to do with this? No. She tried to cheat off me. She got better scores. She was, she's part of, she works at the factory. And she said she could show me around the factory. So I was like, cool, I'm in. And I utilized that to do some spy stuff. And that's when I learned about the machine. And I think. Yep. And uh, that was definitely to give John an ability to sneak in there and apparently bring Estrada. I've never been clear how that happened. Then, uh, while doing some spy stuff, she grew a cog in her from her brain. Is she okay? I think so. Remember when we had talked about those pins? And that the pins seem to uh, corrupt the people that they're attached to? Yeah, not really, but I trust that we did. Well, I don't think we went to school with an amber. We did. Mm, yeah. I'm sorry, what were we talking about? So the, the pins, pins. Um, oh. they attune or maybe enslave, bind, is probably the best word. Poisoned. The people who wear them to the tower. So at least it seems like sometimes... Whatever this thing is can reach through them. Mind control pens. Manchurian candidate. But not pens. just the mind. Like physical alterations. Yeah, she became super strong trying to kill me. I mean, she failed. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they can only make you so strong. And, like, she doesn't really work out, so. Do we have one still? Yeah, I have a few. Like, with you now? I'm curious about something. Back at the house. Do you know what they're made of? I'm I use matter sense. What are they made of? Metal. 
any so particular kind. Metal. Does matter sense give you a sense? I know it gives you a sense of what things are made of specifically, but like, if you don't know the material, does it tell you what the material is? Yeah, you basically get like a rundown of, like, if it's an alloy, you get like the parts of the alloy, for example. It is made of a Up metal, to you, of course. It does. It is made of a metal that is not known to you to be on the periodic table. Obviously, it's theory to say that it's vibranium. <laughs> it is not I vibranium. Okay. I. I'm asking because if it's iron, that's bad. It's not iron. Okay. In fact, it's not really anything that people are really aware of these days. What do you mean by that? Like it's some sort of alien metal from somewhere else. So like a composite with a different signature or like an alloy? Like a metal from a giant thing that exists in multiple dimensions. Like another world, yeah. Like maybe pieces of the tower. Honestly, that, that might actually be what it is, that it's pieces of the tower compressed into pins then put onto people. Still scientifically interesting that it's a different metal, but okay. <laughs> you think it's like a beanstalk? Like, you know, in the, in the fairy tale, he, he plants a bean and then a beanstalk grows. Do you think those pins are like that? Where you plant a pin and... Well, Watcher was saying that things have been weird in that locus ever since the town sprung up. So, do you think maybe whoever built the factory way back whenever planted one of those pins? Something like that. Abraham B. Starkweather, uh, or whoever founded the factory? That's correct. So, to my understanding, there's an event that took place in the city some years ago, or some this town, and what there, something came, and it, like, blessed this area so that they would be prosperous and what seems to be going on is that they are trying to call it back or rebuild it i'm not entirely sure as to what it is exactly yet but what i do know is that there's blood and pieces of people that seem to be an ingredient for constructing whatever it is that they're making so when estrada and i were sneaking around well Dan was doing his spy stuff. We ended up finding that underneath the machine that's been running nonstop, there's this whole hidden space that's just filled with bodies and blood. The slight eyebrow raise that had started at the continued usage of the phrase spy stuff completely fades as there's clarification that there really is like a pool of blood beneath the factory. And we're talking like high school swimming pool level stuff. Lola had had a similar eyebrow raise, skeptical to believe, which transformed into, no, John doesn't, isn't going to BS about stacks of body parts and swimming pools of blood. Now, and her face transforms accordingly. Strata saw it, and there's a good chance that they're going to take him out at some point. So as grating as he is sometimes... We're going to want to keep an eye on him and make sure he's okay. Just he's not some, that bad. Just get some grenadine in him. He's a, more, a lot more fun. That's hilarious and gross. Yeah. But yeah, I'll try that. Um, the blood. Did he, Is he, that... Do you think it help out if I give his hat back? The blood doesn't coagulate. I mean, probably on the hat part. The bodies don't rot. Yeah, but do they seem like they could be from all the missing people, the car crashes, all of that, that? That's that... exactly the impression that I have of it. So I don't know if this is important. 
when I went to rest, I was in my own dreamscape, but then I went wandering in the hedge to find other bastions. I didn't see that tower there. The only thing I I saw was I was in Gary's dream and when he talked about maybe leaving Asheville, the floor went away and Gears tried to grind us up and I fixed it, but Gary didn't see it. So like something, it intervened and wouldn't even let him think about leaving? Yeah. Not to interrupt, not really in regards to any of that. I think Dolores is dead. What? Yeah, yeah, so... Why, 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 why do you think that? Well, I'm not entirely sure. You kept saying something about, like, eggshells and orange peels and whatnot. That's and what she's made of. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's that's the compost that helps grow peach blossoms. That's what she's. That's what Mother has lots of. She makes lots of things out of it. Sure. Um, I don't know. I'm very... I'm still confused about the two Wait, of you thing. Wait, hold on. Under what circumstances was he talking about it, Dan? Oh, he wasn't. There was a pile of it. You found a pile of the exact compost that... Yeah, yeah. When I went to go over and get Gary's car during the being chased by, you know, Rot's Crest. It's part of my master plan. So who's Gary marrying? Uh, he called it off. Stopped it. I don't think he said much about it otherwise. Has anyone seen Dolores since the compost appeared? Mm, no. Oh. It looks like a, a Bishalu tried to take over her. How do they do that? Like like it did to the priest? How does that they, happen? They, yeah. they warm your way inside the body and take the place of the heart. And I guess she didn't have a heart. No, she's she was a pile of compost. Right, so Gary had mentioned about the rats thing, and I had planned on taking care of it after. How's Gary doing? Um, I had him go talk to Ernie. Have I've, you heard from him since? He's still around. There was no dead body at his house or anything like that, so I figured that two people could use each other to talk to, especially during all these weird circumstances, and Ernie's been through a lot and probably be a good way for... John frowns. Wait, there's no... Doesn't he wear the pin? Who? Gary. I don't know, sure. Doesn't that mean he might be dangerous for Ernie? Only if Ernie's, like, threatening the factory or something, right? That seems the only time this thing seemed to happen. We've only seen it happen once. We don't know what the pattern is. Maybe someone with a phone should call Ernie? Yeah. John gets up and he just starts going through his phone. No, and uh, to be clear, Dan, I'm not. I'm not mad at you. I just want to make sure we're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about it. Okay. Yeah, no problem, man. You've been great, honestly. I have a lot of very weird feelings right now. Okay. Well, I figured I'd let you know because you seem very mad and concerned about your twin. She's not a twin. Yeah. Mm, still confused. She's she's made of garbage with my face. Yeah, you keep saying that. And I guess she's not stealing your place in life now. Yeah, but, but she I, was, she was a member of the town. Yeah, I don't think Gary. Um, I think he's gonna rationalize it. So that's probably why he hasn't gone anywhere much. But why would he cancel the? Because there's no person to be there. But if he's rationalizing it away, why? Then she probably either ran away or, or whatnot. If he's rationalizing it, if I had to take a stab at it. <sighs> I mean, aren't there posters up everywhere? They don't really look like Lola. They just look like that kid, remember? Yeah, I don't know. John's the only one that says that's attached to Lola. 
How much do I know about Huntsman in general? You wouldn't know, like, the deep lore of Huntsman with uh, Hedge. That's a different thing. You would know that Huntsmen are beings of Arcadia that are not fey, and they are not hedge goblins or hedge beasts. They are their own thing, and that occasionally one of the gentry will come and scoop them up and hollow them out, and instead of the things they care about, now they care about what the gentry care about. And they are sent off with their tools to go capture wayward changelings. And their tools, if the gentry wants the changeling dead, they are out to kill kill changelings. But generally, that's very rare. Usually the gentry just want their things back. Mm-hmm. The only other things that you would know is that they also are possessed of glamours, powerful glamours, so they can kind of look like anyone. With the exception of they all have a tell. Each one has the instruments of who they are as a huntsman. And though the form of them may change, the essential nature of them will stay the same. So if, they, if one of their tools is, say, a torch, well, in the real world, it might look like a flashlight or a lantern or, you know, one of those, like, fluorescent light sticks mm. or a torch. But they will always have one. Why would the pictures not look like me? You are familiar enough with Glamour to know that they might actually look like you, but if Dolores is around town, they're not going to put up missing posters. Right. So there may be a subtle Glamour or enchantment on them that will have people looking to help this person find you, even if they're not really aware that's what they're doing. Yeah. It's just a subtler way to flush out Corey. The other thing that you do know about Huntsman is occasionally, you know, reasonably often, like with Hoodie the Mouse, they will send their familiars to go announce their presence to let the changeling know they are being hunted. And they usually use that tactic like like a hunter will send out a hound to flush out a, ho- a fox. So it could be that there's a subtle enchantment trying to get the town to look for the you version of you mm. without tipping anyone off. That's what he's doing. Gotcha. Or... They are trying to get you to panic and worry so that you are on edge and tired. So you make mistakes so they can pounce. He calls. Uh, Hey, hey, bud. What's what's going on? What's going on? We actually have uh, a second get together going on this weekend. Oh, Uh, good for you. I'm I'm glad. Hey, uh, I just want to check on you. How, how you doing? I was, uh, I was, I was gonna check up on you actually pretty soon. I'm doing okay. Why? What's, uh, you know, what's going on? Just miss you. What's going on? That's it. Well, it's real nice to hear, buddy. It's, it's real nice to hear. Have been meaning to talk to you. Aviva aggressively pantomimes to John the motion of putting on a pin and then makes an X with her arm. She's listening in on his side of the conversation and feels he's not being clear enough. So, um, you know, obviously I, I, uh, <laughs> so I out that girl that you care about so much and I just wanted to make sure, you know, you know, your mom's not going to have these conversations with you and, you know, your dad's not around. So you're, uh, you're wrapping it up, right, bud? <laughs> John makes like an oh no face. Because, you know, I know we're not related by blood, but, uh, you know, men in this family are pretty virile, so you got to be pretty careful about that, okay? Like, all it takes is one time with us. 
Uh, so uh, I also wanted to talk about this pin thing. Uh, okay. So don't put a pin. You on. know what? Oh, what pin? Th- we're not gonna put pins a pin going on. You know what like you're doing, right? Have you? How much do you know? How much do you need, do you need to? Uh, do you know I need to tell you about like the man in the boat or like what do you? Do you, you give know me a second. Just one second. John puts his hand on the phone. I'll be right back. Lola is. <laughs> if she can hear any of this, she is dying. I, I leave that up to you. Yes. Mm. <laughs> I think you might. I mean, the werewolves have a chance of supernatural hearing, and maybe you. I don't. <laughs> Lola will also, before he walks away, like point to where a lapel would be. And then give finger guns like she's pretending to be Gary. <laughs> See, I really want to check on the pin thing. What yeah, pin, hey. what pin thing? Okay. Have you seen Gary Did lately? You, like, give her your Letterman jacket? What do you mean pin have, thing? Have you seen Gary lately? Gary Wallace? Yeah. Yeah, he came by, I don't know, the, a few days ago. Okay. If he offers you any kind of a pin, please... Just throw it in the garbage. Oh, he he tried to sell me one of those pins. Took it off his jacket and said here, but then like changed his mind real fast and left. Oh, that's interesting. Seemed pretty uh pretty down in the dumps, poor guy. What happened with him? Did he say anything? Well, he didn't say anything, but you know how the rumor mill around a town goes. His uh, I, I don't. Dolores ran off with Dan Swanson. That's what that's what I heard. John looks back towards the group again and then back to the phone. Oh, is that the rumor? Uh, yeah, they was gonna, uh, they were the gun shop, they, they bought some bullets, and we're gonna, he was gonna take her out shooting or whatever, and then, you know, as far as anybody knows, that was the last time they were really, you know. This town does not mind its business at all. John, how long you lived in this town? I don't really talk to people in this town. Yeah, oh, well, that's because, look, you either, you either are on the gossip tree, or you are the subject of the gossip tree, and... No offense, I love you, but you've been the subject, not the recipient. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. Okay. I'm going to go check on Dan, and I'll call you in the morning. Okay, just, yeah, call me. Have a have a good night, and, um, you know, it hasn't been that long since you've been staying with me, so, you know, look in your wallet, okay? <laughs> love you. Love you, too. He hangs up. With his back to his tree, he kind of takes out his wallet and checks it. There's just uh, inside behind the license. Wallet. Yeah. Just All a right. packet of ramen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just the seasoning packet. Just the seasoning packet. His eyesight is going so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Them detached retinas are no joke. Uh, All right. John will cringe for a little while, decide whether or not he's going to return to the fire at all or move. <laughs> out of town, and once he's gathered the courage to return and face Lola... He opts to just leave town with him. Yeah. Into the forest. He's like, you know, man, Dan's got this amount. I'll let the, the Swansons handle this guy. Problem. When he comes I'm back, Lola is sitting there like in a glamour shots pose with like chin on fist looking at him. Well, John's emotions are normally just kind of like, like, like the spikes are like this. He's feeling pretty awkward. All right. This might be the funniest thing Lola's seen since she left town. And there is just pure joy in her expression. Uh, Viva's just looking flatly between Lola and John's missing location until he comes back. John comes back, sits down, and tries to form words. Like, like there's his mind is racing. 
but after a few moments, so I guess there's some tea that needs to be spilled. Apparently, Dolores left Gary and ran off with Dan. And the two had been seen shopping for, like, bullets or something in town. Oh, they based off the shopping? That means nobody saw us naked. That's fair. Yeah. They did not see that. To be fair, it was just you naked. To be clear, we don't know that for sure. I was a lot naked, but it was you were entirely naked. Yeah, well, you know, that happened. This was the church. Wait, when did you all get naked? The church. church. And you guys are a thing, or? It's complicated, I think. Was not aware. Man, the town would love that. The two of you guys banging in the reception hall for the wedding? That's fucking dirty. It was the parking lot. You are so thrilled for your brother hooking up with someone. No, no, no. I'm just imagining how the town would feel about that. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me the town says something like that. They'll figure it out sooner or later on their own. But where's Gary? Probably still at his house. I can tell he's been in and around there, at least. So, one thing I know is that he did uh, actually approach Ernie. I guess he took you up on the advice. And he offered Ernie the pen. But apparently, part of the way through offering it, he suddenly felt the need to go and left. So... I think we may want to make a point of finding Gary at the festival. Yeah. Do you think maybe that means his mind controller or whatever is breaking down? I think it means it's kicking in harder. Okay. If he's losing what he thinks is a big chunk of his life, he's going to cling harder to the thing, the other big thing in his life. I don't know. We'll find out when we see Gary next. He'll probably be a founder's day. Do you think we have to worry about any of these cult members actually just like attacking people with these pins slipping and accidentally sticking people no i mean like going and holding people down and like inducting them forcibly well to my understanding dan didn't they try to do that to you uh they did try to poison me yes the pins are the poison he's talking about was that the reason that the cop was chained to the table he got pinned and stopped trusting his own ability to make decisions so yeah he was trying to take steps to prevent himself from acting out yeah he was trying to drink away all of that so i made him drink grenadine instead so he wouldn't accidentally shoot the girl that was at your house if someone broke in i'm just saying it's not that bad pin's not that strong for you that's fair wait did you get pinned yeah they tried to poison me you know, it's not poison, right? It was part of the classic spy stuff. Oh, this is making sense now. Yeah. All right. Okay, so no more pens. We find where they have them. We take them. Or make it so they can't be moved. I mean, if there's going to be a weak point, it's either the factory itself, because those machines are always going, or that gigantic pool of bodies. I mean, that seems like some sort of fuel source. Were there any gears visible at the factory? Any moving parts you could see? Yes. It was a factory. It was you know, operating. You know, going back to the whole idea of, like, this is a, something that's growing there. If those bodies are just simply the fertilizer for it. You know, imagine back in the day, factories weren't that safe. People died on the factory floor all the time. But, you know, since some laws have been put into place to kind of prevent some of that stuff, maybe this thing hasn't been growing as fast. And they had to supplement the stream with that guy with the ring on his hand going Somebo- out and killing people. Somebody decided mm-hmm. to kick things into overdrive. And rather than just let chance of factory accidents feed it, 
They're just straight up putting bodies in the basement. Well, the thing that's weird is they succeeded a while ago. And they had their little golden age for this town. And then things started to get bad again. And now it's like they're trying to bring back their golden age. What does your mom have to do with all this? Huh. Remember how you said that man with the pin approached her? She was meeting with him, yeah. These guys, they're, they're cultists. The magic that they wield, if any, isn't terribly significant. But she has the power to sway an entire town. She has the power to make people forget about unusual incidents. And if they're trying to bring back something that happened in the past, her ability to manipulate time is a pretty big deal. Does her running for and being mayor have anything to do with this? I imagine. I mean, the local cop, he's been blocked from every attempt he's made at getting into the bottom of all of this. I mean, sure, I was his primary suspect, but he knew something was wrong, and every time he tried to dig, he was shut down. Having some sort of major influencer in charge of the town makes things a lot easier for a cult like this. What is your mom getting from the cult succeeding, though? Well, she wants things to be the way they used to be. Right now, that what they want seems to align. They want their little golden age back, and she wants hers. So how do we mess this up? Well, it sounds like vandalism, from what you had said. Perfect. Love vandalism. I feel like that's just bonus, but she's going to be a bit more important, probably. She's running unopposed, right? Always does. She's been doing that for a while, yeah. And... What if she doesn't win? If she doesn't win, she'll kill the other person. I mean, maybe. I, I don't know. I know that she's doing things that she really shouldn't be doing. And I think it'd be a little arrogant on my part to think that I really even understand her limits at this point. You said you saw golden bricks. That means she's on her way to being an archmage. And no mages who aren't archmages understand what that even really means. But she's not yet. She's not. But so when someone becomes an archmage... They stop being around here. They disappear. They go on to some supernal existence or whatever it is. She is so powerful that she's barely even here. But my dream version of Dan was able to shut her down in her own mindscape. Sure. But you said yourself that she was able to pick and choose who's even there. To start with. So on some level she was allowing the conflict to happen the same way I got a punch in on her. She wasn't expecting it, so she wasn't prepared enough. The fact that she's so nigh unto omniscient is kind of her weakness, right? It's like those people who know every page of of the book, who've read it a million times, so they stop checking the book when a debate starts on, you know, facts in it. They stop checking the rules. They stop being careful. And in some cases, their logic makes enough sense that the rules don't matter. They can make new ones. She doesn't show a single shred of being open to being convinced to change or to think about if others might have a right perspective. I'm gonna she be honest, threw all that away, I think. The only reason she hasn't shattered my mind and maybe the minds of others is because she thinks that we'll just come around to her way of things. 
fat fucking chance. Well, exactly. Would not be our choice. Maybe that's her first mistake, right? I think there were a lot of first mistakes. True. Maybe that wasn't her only first mistake. The thing that she's doing, manipulating a whole town, there's consequences that are happening from it. I don't think that she actually wants those signs to say Castro. I think that she's been playing with the abyss so much that she stopped being careful about paradox. And sometimes paradox happens in simple ways. A bit of pain, some bruising that happens because of uh, like, a, like a static shock from pushing too far. What is paradox? All right. So I mentioned that she's been interacting with the Abyss. Mm-hmm. And I told you that the Golmoth and thought crimes, the the Akamoth. The what? That's his name. Thought crimes? Yeah, I thought it fit. Ugh. Why does it need a name? The Akamoth already sounds edgelordy enough. Because by giving it a name, it reminds myself that it's a thinking person with goals and its own objectives. So I had kind of gotten in the habit of it. Mm. It's hard to think of it like a person. It's easy to not. So what you see, even the shadow, the underworld, all of it as part of something called the fallen world. It's the here and now. It's the, it's the world we can see and understand. Above that is the supernal. And that is stranger and more cosmic concept of the truth than an actual place you can just go to. Even trying to enter the supernal as an imperfect being destroys you utterly. That's why nobody knows what happens to Archmages. Some think that it's them who who crosses over. But the important thing is is that there was a once a group who climbed the ladder and made it all the way to heaven, the heights of supernal reality. And when they did, they betrayed the world in a way and split what was once one world into two and the latter was broken and when that happened these uh we call them the exarchs that was the word a rift was made an ocean between two continents and that ocean was the abyss it is the outside you know like 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 if reality was an egg and someone cracked it, exposing what is inside and is supposed to be part of reality to everything outside. My mom has been interacting with the outside. That's where the Akamoth comes from, thought crimes, and the Golmoth. But there's more to it. When I perform supernal magic, when any of us do, we're actually reaching into the supernal realm to draw on the truths that exist there and influence the fallen world. What I do is something that is actually the way things are supposed to be on some level, but on a supernal level. And we make it reality here. But sometimes when you reach across that vast gulf, it creates an opportunity for the things that are outside to reach here. So sometimes it's a little bit of backlash, a little bruise, some cuts, some pain. Sometimes something comes across and uses the light of that magic as like a, like a lure to draw it to this reality. 
And sometimes the spell or even reality itself changes in unexpected ways, ways that have no obligation to reason. So I think maybe she's gotten arrogant and stopped checking the rule book. And in not checking the rule book, she stopped caring whether or not she creates paradox with the magic that she uses. And I said it before when we first met here that it was a little unusual that both you and Aviva arrived when and how you did. And I kind of think that while she is building her perfect world, she accidentally put together the thing that would be its undoing. And I think maybe that's why you got into her dreams. I think maybe that's why you slugged her. I think I think we're like some sort of uh kryptonite. Yeah. Like a kryptonite. Well, beyond getting to be in the role of consequence to her actions, do you think that tower goes the same place that the Exarchs or whatever they're called goes? Do you think the tower is for her or do you think it's to the abyss? That thing is alien to if I'm going to be totally honest, it's alien to everything I know, including what I know about the abyss. When your mother's dream collapsed, I don't remember a whole lot. Things kind of just went black and dimmed out. But I do remember the sound of gears grinding, kind of like how Lola described. Some kind of hungry maw beneath. I don't think your mother was aware that that thing underpins all of her dreams. John kind of, a bit of fear crosses his features. It's, it's using her. It's not the other way around. She's so arrogant that she wouldn't see it. Maybe she can't. Gary couldn't. She knows what those pins do. She knows, she has to know what that thing is on some level. All right, so what's next? Well, maybe if we take away her tools, or I guess now they're people, then... She'll be less useful to the tower, and maybe that could set her free in some capacity. Aviva is really struggling to look like that's a huge objective. I know she hasn't really done a lot to show that she deserves a second chance. But if we can do this without really hurting her, I'd really appreciate it. Oh, I stabbed her in the hand a bit. In the dream. But yeah... Sure. She broke my brain a little bit, so I feel like it's turnabout is fair play. I mean, you did uppercut her with a dance Swanson, so, you know. I did. (laughs) I definitely did. Are you guys okay with that? Aviva goes quiet, thinking about it. Maybe being conscious that how she says what she says next will be apparent in the truth of the matter. But eventually, she says, if we can save Asheville and we don't have to hurt her, I'm not saying I won't punch her in the nose again, but we can try to get her to survive with us. No argument from me. She's earned whatever punch or what have you comes her way. I just... A little boop on the snoot never hurt no one. Yeah. I think stopping what she's doing is the priority. She deserves compassion, but not at the expense of everybody else. No, absolutely. I I agree. And thank you. All right, so what do we do? 
We get that thing claiming to be an angel, right? Here to talk. Yeah. We have to ruin thought crimes and the Golmoth. The Golmoth can only be taken down with the dagger. Through the Black Angel, we get that. Thought crimes is vulnerable to an ass-kicking, but it has to be in Twilight. And it has to be me, because it'll try to get into your brains, and it can get into at least more than one of your brains. We found that out when it came after Jesse. It came after Jesse? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't pleasant. I'm glad you're okay. Alright, so the Akamoth can get its ass kicked. After that, the people with their pins. The extra pins we can slag. We just need to find where they are. Gary might know. People might let something slip during the whole bachelor auction thing that they're doing. Maybe. I think they're giving them out that day, though. We need to find out before. Under the guise of approaching Gary in the name of preparing for the auction, we can get in, find the pins, and slag them. After that, the major thing that needs to go is the machine that's building their idol. And for that, we'll need to get into the factory. If I can freeze a gear in time, that might be the start of things. He gives, like, a few quick nods. Yeah, and I'm not exactly forgetting that whole arson idea from earlier. Yeah, maybe we were talking about the wrong building. So, on the list, handling the ghoul moth by getting the dagger. Handling thought crimes by me beating his ass like he deserves. Someone, and probably not you two... And Aviva looks at Dan and Lola, approaching Gary to try to get him to leak and stopping that gear. Maybe the entire building or the ritual thing happening. I might be able to find him in his dreams. What? I found him there before. I think we should hit him at the festival. You do know that if we destroy the factory, we destroy the last part of this town that's operational, right? Yeah. I know. And then we build something new. Exactly. Maybe that's what the problem with this town has been all along. Maybe it's been so obsessed with trying to restore itself to former glory that it wouldn't let the things that needed to fade fade so that there could be new life. Let things rot and die? Yeah. I mean, isn't that what drove the rot spirit crazy that it stopped being able to represent what it represents maybe that's some sort of uh, a way of nature telling us that the record needs to be set straight or these things are going to keep happening maybe that building just fucking needs to go you might be right about that but whatever new life grows in its place very likely will not include Asheville or the people who live here I think that's something we need to accept. I don't care if arson is the solution, but I know that there's a body full of people exactly like my guys. People whose memorials litter the highway near this town. So many people of Asheville have already lost their lives to whatever this is. So stopping that tower, stopping that process... I get that it's going to put a lot of people out of a job, and I get that it's going to change a lot of people's hometowns, but people... change is painful doesn't mean it's not worth doing. 
Yeah. I think those that will stay in the face of tragedy would stay regardless. Is that something we can do? Is everyone here okay with the fact that we may need to just let go in order for this to work? I know I've been struggling with the thought of it, if I'm going to be honest. There is something appealing about second chances and being able to have the life we wanted. I don't want to be stuck in someone else's dream. And I don't want it for fake. I already made a choice to give up the life I wanted once. That's still going to be what I stand by when it comes down to the wire. We can help this town after everything falls apart, but if we are the cause of it, we need to be responsible for it. I agree. Because we are choosing in some ways, and it may turn around for a different opportunity, but to doom a whole lot of people. I think we're dooming a lot of inertia. I think we're dooming a lot of what has always been. I think there are, I trust in the people of Asheville to be able to, to rise above it. Not all of them will, I understand that. But not all of them would go quietly into this dream either. No, but pretty concepts don't feed people. You're right. Money does. Cash. There's a lot we can do. And in the long term, it might be for the best, but remember that's a long term. There's a lot of people that will suffer in the short. Are you okay with that, Dan? I mean, they're also being mind-controlled by some weird-ass machine, so mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Better to be free and struggle. I mean, cogs coming out of people's heads. Just... Yeah, it's also weird. Yeah, can't allow that to happen. Jesse, where are you at? My Uncle Hank gave a lot to look after this land. But that's a sacrifice Rotha is supposed to make. My Aunt June and my grandma, though, bowling alley was not doing well before things started going well at the factory again. If we kill the factory, bowling alley's dead. Diner's dead. I don't know what my grandma and my Aunt June are going to do. But it's the right thing to do for the Hasil. The locust at the center of that factory needs to go. And it's my responsibility to take care of this land. And if I do that, my, the last bit of my family besides Dan's going to have to leave here. I'm tired of seeing things go. So I actually, I imagine June and your grandma being the reason people stay. Because if we can keep them supplied, they have the means of feeding people here. They have a large facility where people without their homes could stay. It's a nice dream. Nothing certain, I know that. Is there really supposed to be an alternative here? Letting this thing go through? Jesse shrugs. No. It's gotta happen. It just, um... I ask because the closer we get to doing it, the more seductive the other choice is going to get. And I'd rather we make our choice now, together, while our heads are clear, and stick to it. I still have a huntsman after me. I don't know the role they're playing in all this. I don't know what they could offer me, what could they could ask me to do. But Mother has made their sole desire to make sure that I get back to Mother. What do you mean? The huntsmen, they're not goblins. They're not, they're not like Mother. They're something else. Those like Mother hollow them out of their own desires and fill them with theirs. What do you mean when you say hollow out? Take, like their soul? 
Yes. Take their dreams. Take their wants. And it's through the soul that they control them? They are them. It's what they want. At what point is... Do we determine self? That's a bigger conversation than a campfire tonight. Uh, I might be able to help you. But I don't know if they hold what I love over me. And they will. I don't know what they would ask me to do. And I don't know the role they play in all this. Your mother said that she could contact mother. She may know that the huntsman is in town. I suspect she's the reason the huntsman is in town. It sounds like an agreement. I don't think there was ever really a, a disagreement, but I think we needed to know and realize the costs, the real costs that'll come about from this. Jobs need doing, but sometimes they come with a price. I agree. I think to save the future, we have to prepare for a pretty shitty present. What are we doing after this? What comes after? After what? After the weekend's out. I think we find the pins. I think some of us meet with your contact who can get us the weapon. I think Aviva beats some ass. I mean, if I can find him. But I tend to be okay at that. That thing is... What realm is it from? The Abyss. Not a realm. Another reality altogether. Rather, the lack thereof. What exists outside. Okay, realm was a fair question, but... I'm just trying to answer the question as honestly as I can. Yeah. So... Can any of us track it? I know I can see it in the twilight. So, I guess I have to keep on keeping my eyes open. Nothing I could do could sense it. Well, that's fucking weird. Once the machine's in trouble, it's going to start sending its soldiers. That includes the stuff... Your mother controls. Right. So I can keep on taking a peek into the shroud when I can. Especially if we see your mom out and about. John, you mentioned we need to go to the underworld, right? Yeah. Are we all going? I don't know. I hadn't really considered. He kind of looks to Aviva. I think you'd know better than me who should go and who shouldn't. It's a dangerous place and it will want to keep you. I've been there before. If you want me to go get it, then I will. But that would be helpful to... I'm not going to act big and pretend like it wouldn't make it a lot quicker to have people ready to help fight the way out than just trying to sneak out of the paths and the rivers leading well, away. Well, because of the way the Death Arcana works there, I'll definitely be coming along... And I'll make the way back very easy. What I more mean is, should the five of us go? I guess that's really a you three question. Unless, Rob, with my occult knowledge, is there any particular reason why werewolves or a changeling, as I have grown to know them, should particularly not go to the underworld? So nobody should ever go to the underworld. Obviously, it's the underworld. yeah. However, from what you understand of them, they may interact strangely down there in mm. is sort of in the same way that when you guys were in the he seal there was no death for john to play with mm -hmm. in the underworld there are no spirits which at first is fine but the werewolves should not spend more than maybe a couple days down there our time or they might start having a bad time uh the changeling you're not really sure 
she could go down there, and Lola did mention at one point that, at least at one point, she could travel realms, so she should be okay, so long as she obeys the rules, doesn't get flighty and drink the water. Well, there's no Hissel in the underworld, so I definitely wouldn't want the werewolves to stay. I mean, no one should ever stay in the underworld if they're alive, but... You two would be my top priority to make sure you got out, especially, yeah, no more than a couple days. Lola, you had wings, and you could go strange places. I was there once. Actually, Rebecca, roll me an occult intelligence. Sure. Uh, I will allow for a ghost spec. Yes, I have a river spec. Rivers. Specifically, roll me the river. You you may apply the river spec. Cool, cool. I will use a willpower on this. Presuming I've got some back from sleeping and existing. Uh, yes. Three successes. With three successes, you've traveled the underworld a bit and helping ghosts sort of your thing. You even specifically hold the keys to the Avernian gates if you choose to open them. So you are aware of stories that some ghosts have told, some undead have told. Not anything you would have put stock into before you met literal werewolves. That sometimes wolf monsters or whatever. Avernian gates just take people sometimes. And occasionally there are stories that ghosts will tell of like packs of wolves that make their way into the underworld that hunt and kill ghosts. Sort of in a very similar manner to how you all just went on Siskerda and the Hisil. You're not really sure if they should be eating ghosts or whatever, but for all intents and purposes, their abilities work from sort of what you can piece together down in the underworld. But you are still quite sure that after a few days they will start to go insane without that connection. It is just in the same way that the Hesiel is a place that if you aren't half-spirit feels unnatural and you don't really want to be there. They are beings of spirit, and that spirit, half of them, is not going to want to be in the world of the dead. They don't have that level of comfort that they would in the shadow, and it might start to drive them nuts. Not immediately, obviously, but if, if they're down there more than a few days, it'll start to kick in. Aviva pauses in her trail of thought over to Lola, her eyes going back to Dan and to Jesse. And after a moment, she says, You know what? I didn't really... Pack of wolf monsters didn't sound like much when I was in the underworld, but now that I'm up here and I know werewolves, I guess, for real, makes those stories come to a different light. As they would talk about groups... Groups that came down to, I guess, hunt and eat ghosts. Don't know their purpose or if they, I don't know, had a good reason for it. But seems like those packs couldn't spend more than a couple days without going insane. Due to the lack of the shadow. I suppose it's a good thing we don't have a couple of days then. Yeah. Lola. Nice vacation, not to live. <sighs> Lola, I don't know how your shit works in the underworld. I I do not get it. I can't think of a single story I've heard of someone like you. And having been to the hedge, I don't... 
I don't have a clue. Mother sent me there a couple times. She heard the the rivers were Apparently you powerful. should look more at Lola than me. She's been more often. I don't remember it very well. I remember it being dark. Yeah. I remember I was hot, but I was shivering. Yeah, it'll do that some places. I just... I lied to her. I told her I couldn't find the river. Brought her a jar of dirt instead. Good. She was really mad. Well, I'm sorry about that, but you made a smart choice, and I'm glad for it. I've got a key, if we really need to get there, by an Avernian gate. Real starting places with the... And she makes air quotes. Angel, right? He smiles at her. Yes, the quote-unquote angel. To be continued? Yeah. Give me a day to prep. Do we want to find Gary while you're prepping? No, we're going to find him at the festival. Yep. Honestly, right now, I just kind of want to have a few beers and pretend the world's not ending and the sky's not falling. Yeah. If that's all right. If we can spend a few hours like we were... Supposed to. Dan, you did a lot of work the first time around. Let's honor that. Excellent choice. I still haven't shotgunned a beer. Let the wood burn. This time maybe we can be aware that it's happening. Actually get to feel our drinks. Lola. Lola. Shotgun a beer. I'll do it at the same time. Do it, do it, do it. And the group of you spend the rest of the night unaccosted as friends having a nice time, and pretending that the world isn't ending. You're all at John's house. There's food, there's rest, all of you could rest and shower and just sort of take times for yourself before everything goes to hell. John, I think you had plans specifically about what your next steps were. John has taken the first steps towards preparing the room for the angel summoning. And once he's kind of confident that the room is ready enough, he's going to start kind of moving about the house, checking on the people that are staying with him, and kind of seeing what they're up to, and with the intention of pulling Aviva aside. You notice pretty quickly, actually all of you notice pretty quickly who are staying here, Jesse is not here right now. He has left at some point. All of you know, he, he kind of does this. He goes off, he lone wolfs for a little bit, but he's always come back. So while some of you may be concerned, some of you may be annoyed, some of you may be confident in what he's doing, Jesse is left for the moment. And John, as you look around the house, Lola, what are you doing? Uh, Lola is definitely one of the ones worried about being apart and a little irritated because she told Jesse that it hurts her when she can't protect people and she wants everyone to stay together. But the others have reasonably convinced her that this is something he does. It's something he's always done, even before the werewolf stuff. You know, he, sometimes he just needs to do his thing for a bit. So she is currently holding on to the back of the couch, not wearing shoes, no surprise to anyone. Uh, and she is just doing bar warm-ups, not like drinking, but like ballet. <laughs> She is just doing a rapid series of rote, you know, plies, tendus, fondues, rondejams, uh, grand plies. Um, she will get out her point shoes if she has the time, but for now she's content to work barefoot. Right now you, you have 
plenty of time, it seems like, as John is preparing and sort of walking around the house. And Dan, where are you right now? I am on the other side of that couch, lounging, uh, watching television, eating various forms of food that does nothing for me, but does taste good, and uh, utilizing John's phone uh, while he is preparing. In what manner are you utilizing John's phone? A lot phone? of texting. I'm finally getting back to some of the messages. It's been a little bit, you know. <laughs> Can Lola my... see the phone over the couch? 100%. He's not, he's not hiding. Yes. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. She is, she is confused what the various emojis mean, but she is kind of focused on what she's doing. Occasionally, she will like have a hand out away from the couch as the bar, and if she wobbles at all, she'll kind of just put her hand on Dan's head for balance for a minute and then just keep going. Yeah, that's fine. Dan, top three emojis go that you've been using. I have no idea. Tim only Eggplant, fire, <laughs> eggplant. <laughs> sure, that sounds good. Eggplant, fire, peach. That <laughs> <laughs> actually sounds right, yeah. Yeah, that okay. sounds about right. <laughs> sounds good, guys. <laughs> I am so ashamed I knew that. <laughs> Aviva, where are you? What are you up to? So John actually walking through the house after he's been busy preparing the room might not be able to spot where Aviva is at first. He'd probably end up asking, unless it's a spot that he goes to as well. But effectively, before Aviva nabbed one of the more interesting-looking books out of your sort of magic study and headed up to, I imagine, in your house, there must be a section of your roof that is accessible through one of the windows. For, like gothic stargazing while reading occult books yeah definitely yeah that sounds about right yeah i would have i would have dropped by and let lola and dan know very briefly that's where i was lola is tempted to follow but she kind of just understands that maybe this is when people are taking their time to do their own individual things Mm -hmm. and decides that she needs to do that too uh john actually spends a little while arms crossed and leaning against the doorway just watching Dan and Lola just live their lives for a moment before he becomes at risk of getting overly sentimental about it. He slinks off and searches for Aviva. And when he finally finds the open window, he slips out after her and kind of sits like right next to her so that there's like contact between them with his arms around his knees. The way that she is on the roof, she's effectively laying down with the book propped up against one of her knees. And she seems like she's gotten pretty far into it. But as there's the slight sounds of someone coming through the window, she does sit up as well. As you sit, you're pretty much eye to eye. Hi. You good with me bothering you for a little while? Yeah, hi. Yeah. You seem pretty unsure. kind of smiles. John knows that the yeah was not a lie, but his uh, emotional understanding of her being unsure rings true with some amount of context that he gets. All right. So I noticed that, you know, back when, before we even went to that stroll in the cemetery, you seemed upset. Like for some reason you weren't welcome. And from what I've seen so far... We've all been pretty glad to see you. Just you guys being glad to see me does not mean it's good that I'm here. Why is it bad that you're here? Sorry, I cut you off. It's okay. I came here hoping to hear how you feel about it, so... 
If you cut me off a little, that's okay. What happened? Aviva spends a long time. She closes the book in her lap. Pretty ominous, solid thunk. It's one of the older ones, so it makes that old book sound. She sets it carefully down next to her, very much using that motion just to buy time. And even after she's bought time, she doesn't continue any pretense of stalling. She just keeps on being silent as she thinks about how to answer. When he gets the impression that she's going to be overly careful, he just kind of takes her hand and holds it and attempt to make it clear that it's really okay for her to say whatever she's got to say. She lets John take her hand and automatically, without much thinking about it, kind of swipes her thumb over the side of it. What if what I've become is inherently bad for you and everyone else here? What if it is not meant to be like this, apparent to nature, that kind of thing? So you're worried that you're some sort of blight on the area? Me dying put you through a lot, yeah. I think what happened put both of us through a lot. Part of why I didn't want to contact my parents was that I didn't want to put them through all of that again. And I was selfish and I decided that I could risk putting you guys through it again. I didn't even think necessarily that you guys would... I mean, I was going to the cabin, so I thought I might see you, but me being selfish, me being here, gives me this opportunity to help and make things right. So I don't want to make anything even more wrong by being here. I don't know how me being here, if it affects you badly or if it's just a part of... I mean, I don't know how any of my shit works if the way that I am, if I'm supposed to be seeking some sort of resolution, if I'm like a ghost that needs to pass on or any of that, I don't know. It's all just operating in the dark. I see it like this, okay? Ever since you got here, bad people who have gotten away with being bad for a long time have found themselves unable to get away with it so easily anymore. And people who have been hurt for a long, long time, in one instance in particular, were given a chance to pass on and find happiness. They're not perfect. They're definitely like, you know, a bit of a punk sometimes. Don't insult me with sometimes. But, <laughs> uh, but we've all been better for it. And I don't even mean just us. I mean, whatever it is you are, whatever it is you're meant to do, you've clearly been this boon that's able to help the dead in ways that they didn't think they could ever be helped again. And if you only helped that one person and were to never help someone again, it would be enough. And I admit, I'm not... It's been hard without you. But you're here. I mean, even if you plan to leave when it's done, that's okay. Because, you know... We have this, we have here, we have now. Then why would Jesse think that you might do something to keep me here? Especially if I'm haunting you. His eyes lower a little at that. I didn't know that Jesse felt that way. 
but I mean, my mom went through pretty great lengths to get what she wanted. And maybe he just thinks I'm like her, but I'm not. I don't want, I don't want to keep you against your will or make you into someone you're not or make you do something you don't want to do. I mean, he kind of like gestures to the two of them on the roof. I mean, this is, this is what I want. Wouldn't it be better for you to be around living people? Uh, they don't like me so much. They might if you'd give it a shot. If I was someone else? No. What happened happened. I don't feel the way that I used to. I don't, where I go, people see things in me or react to me certain ways that they didn't used to. And I'm okay with it. I'm not ashamed of who I am. And if I'm going to be totally honest, I don't know, you're more fun. I can be more open with you. I just don't want to hold you back or change you. Well, they're not holding me back from anything. But I do feel different when you're around. And I don't really, I don't know that that's something you should feel bad about. I guess it's just a matter of... Aviva cuts him off and kisses him. John obviously, like leans into the kiss and seems to be, you know, he's good with it. <laughs> this is, he's not mad that she cut him off. <laughs> he gave her permission. <laughs> she then pushes him off the road. <laughs> oh, here we go again. I'm still me. <laughs> I am sitting on my hands, audience, not making the kid out his gesture. <laughs> you don't have it's to. It's a very good you know? scene, but I, I just do want to reward Erica for her behavior. Thank you. <laughs> Done good. Dan and Lola. Mm-hmm. You guys are downstairs. Dan watching TV. Lola doing uh, your your dance uh, warm ups. Warm ups, yeah. yeah. Uh, she does have her point shoes on at this point, and she can at some point her leg does go up very, very high behind her. Like if she bent her knee, she could probably tap the top of her head with her foot. Lola, you had seen Aviva go upstairs a while ago. And then John was like looking around the house and he went upstairs. Then a long while later, both of them come downstairs. Is there a wave of emotion with them? You're changeling. What do you yep. think? Yeah. <laughs> no, she like almost gets knocked over by it, I'm guessing. <laughs> I mean, if John is open to it, um, they're probably walking downstairs hand in hand. Yeah, John's not really going to like hide this, his feelings towards Aviva. Lola gives significant eyes to both of them, but doesn't say anything and just keeps doing her warm-ups and occasionally glancing at what Dan is typing. Then on the way past Lola, Viva will purposely drop the book on the back of the couch so that it makes a loud noise to try to rattle her from her teasing. It does not. <laughs> She's determined. She is, she is a ballet dancer. She held the same pose for half an hour once when the power went out on stage. Then Aviva tries to drop the book. Lola wins this contest of wills, <laughs> and Aviva just pretends solidly like that hasn't happened. But Lola knows. Lola mm-hmm. knows that she's achieved victory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dan, you have not always been the most perceptive guy, but this specific vibe is 100% inside your wheelhouse, as has been established. So it's up to you whether or not you notice there's a change in the atmosphere. I look up. I probably cram some food into my mouth, chew noisily, look at them, like thumbs up. <laughs> Holds a hand up for a high five for John. <laughs> <laughs> and and get back to it. But there's I mean, a sense that Dan has been uh, thoroughly drained previous to this point and is now just kind of recuperating after, like, 
just a full-on tilt go for a while. Yeah, I mean, you ran for... It's like You've had like a good night's hours, sleep, but yeah. also you ran for like six hours he's, straight. He's a big dog of a person. He's done enough stuff. He's now not going to operate well for the next couple <laughs> days. You also specifically have the context of, not that Aviva or Lola know this, but John in the car asking you for advice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apparently it works. It, it wasn't where she died, so <laughs> advice taken. It's only like a hundred yards away from yeah. where she died. <laughs> it counts. It counts. An inch is as good a mile as this Don't case. Be so negative. <laughs> There's trees between them and there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all of you are in the living room. John, you know that doing this kind of thing at night is sort of more specifically when it will be easier to summon a black angel of Stygia. That being said, your preparations are complete. Everyone is downstairs. John is having second thoughts about doing pretty much anything but just kind of living in the moment it kind of takes a little while for him to really kind of come to the um conclusion that he's going to have to go through with the summoning and that they're going to have to take risks and there's a very real possibility that this might really kind of be the last day that they have like this so once he really can't hold out any longer he calls everyone to the summoning room and once he's there He makes the final checks on the circle that's been prepared, uses chalk to kind of really dig in marks and make sure that they're drawn correctly. He starts to light candles, and he shuts the door to the room so that where there are no windows, no light aside from that provided by the candles, they're ready to begin. Who amongst you is joining in the summoning room? Aviva is definitely there. For all that she was content earlier, and for the lessening of how harsh her vibe had become, now that the possibility of summoning the angel is becoming very much a reality, the sense of confrontation is seeping right back in, and she's taken up residence in one of the chairs in that room and is staring pretty intensely towards where... The summoning will take place. Lola is, despite assurances that Jesse will be fine and will come back, she is uncomfortable with being apart from the rest of them. So while she has worries about what exactly this entails, like what exactly is an angel even, she changes her shoes, she puts on her sneakers, and she goes up to the room with them. She will likely stand behind someone. Uh, either Dan or Aviva, simply because John is busy. I mean, everybody else is going, and Dan wants to see this angel thing, too, so that sounds dope. Um, <laughs> uh, so he'll uh, he'll clean up his uh, food items and whatnot, and just uh, post himself up against a wall out of the way and see himself an angel. Feel free to tell me if I'm wrong, Erica, but I think that might place you... I feel like Lola might sit on the desk that Aviva's at Yeah, to be behind her. Yep. She'll probably go through her habit of sitting on top of the desk Mm -hmm. fully. (laughs) That's what made me think of it. Yeah. And probably post up close to Aviva, probably either consciously or unconsciously kind of enjoying the new vibe that she has and kind of not feeding on it, but definitely vibing with it. I don't have that much willpower, man. (laughs) I'm not eating yet, man. John, you're aware of the stakes 
of this thing, I think you are probably the only one with the full context of what it is that you're attempting here. Before you begin the ritual, are there any last minutes of preparation for either the ritual itself or those in the room with you before you attempt to do something that in your heart might be necessary, but is one of the more dangerous things you've done so far? John has two kind of very small things that he does before they start. A few, actually. One is he kind of very specifically gives Aviva a hug and sets the gauntlet down on her lap, kind of implying that there, while the chances are small, there is a possibility that this thing is going to lash out and start fighting everyone. With that being the case, she'll hug back. She seems to just think that he's comforting her at first, but with the setting of the gauntlet... She places the gauntlet down in the chair that she was sitting in, strolls out of the room, and comes back, and if other people don't have their various armored jackets, she'll kind of toss those at people as well. Before, she slings out over her own chair, picks the gauntlet back up, sets it across her lap like a crowbar, sits back down. The other thing is he actually, with a crowbar, approaches Lola (laughs) and sets the crowbar down on her lap. Um, is this crowbar... It is metal. Do I cringe from it? You do not. Okay. In the same way that... Honestly, it, it might even be the same one from Dan's truck or the car earlier. Mm. The the police car? The, the police... <laughs> that did come from the cop car. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I actually specifically have a crowbar in my equipment list. Functionally, it is the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I use for being a criminal. <laughs> No wonder Estrada didn't like you. I never questioned that. (laughs) (laughs) To Dan, uh, there's just a nod. (laughs) Like, he doesn't need anything from me. He nods back and just kind of takes in the room, looking around. It's neat. It's neat. (laughs) (laughs) Glad he has hobbies. (laughs) Lola will slip on the jacket and hold the crowbar in one hand, kind of tapping her palm with it to give him a look of, I'm ready. Aviva definitely starts under her breath trying. Actually, no, she's making zero effort not to be caught by Lola, but she's doing that thing where she's acting as if she's making an effort not to be caught laughing at Lola. And Lola, as she's looking at her, kind of like shakes the hand that she was hitting and goes, ow. (laughs) (laughs) This is not for hitting. Well, I'm under the impression you can do a lot worse. So is the church. Mood. <laughs> Lola reaches out for a fist bump. <laughs> it is returned. You guys ready? No. Fuck but it's it. time for it anyway. John White, this angel, we're calling it so it can tell us what weapon we need and where to find it. I know what weapon we need, but not only can it tell us where to find it, it can get us there. And because time is of the essence, we need to get it as quickly as possible or our efforts stop at the goal moth. So we make the best of our situation. You guys ready? Still no, but let's go anyway. Dan shakes his head. Let's do this. (laughs) Dan shakes Shakes his his head head in the negative (laughs) and then says, let's do this. (laughs) It sounds like me. Uh, (laughs) You got this, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. John pulls his hood up. 
and starts to dramatically gesture with his hands and begins to speak in this alien language. And as he goes, he takes his time, does it slowly. And over the course of about two hours, he reaches toward the supernal realm to conjure forth an angel of death. Lex, make me the roll and don't fuck this up. Yeah. (laughs) As John chants, Lola, with crowbar in hand, stands up and walks on the desk and kind of bends over near John and puts her hand on his shoulder and gives it a squeeze. She doesn't say anything. Words aren't really going to help and they might be distracting, but she believes in him and that is what she wishes to convey through a touch. And she gives him all her confidence. So John, take a willpower for that. Thank you very much. You got it. I have it now. I'm going to use it. You'll have it for like two seconds. It's why you don't have it most of the time. <laughs> Look, I'm going to start by blaming anyone but myself. <laughs> Smart. Very changeling of you. Yep. Specifically Ferris, I think. Yeah. But not specifically Lola. I really want nachos now. Why? Because I was imagining Dan eating nachos. <laughs> Fuck, I, I want nachos now. If Dan was eating nachos, Lola would occasionally lean over and open her mouth for him to put one in her mouth. <laughs> like mid full on like leg over her own head yeah. doing. Yeah, shit. full like, grand arabesque. Just also, I don't imagine it's like a clean eating of nachos. Like it's like a handful. Yeah, <laughs> like just no. the messiest fucking nacho. I believe eating. we call it the hork. Yeah. <laughs> Gracefully spinning, arching her back, and mm-hmm. like bending in impossible angles and then just shoving Aww. a bunch of nachos into her mouth. <laughs> That's okay. why she's making Dan do it. Her yeah. finger game is on point. Rob, a few things about this rule. Okay. I need 25 successes. <laughs> okay. I have seven rolls that I can make. Okay. Mm-hmm. Before, no, I can make more than that. But after seven rolls... You start accruing paradox? You start rolling minosis and dice. Cool. And then when you have minosis... And successes, something slips through. Okay. Can't wait to fight this in a tiny enclosed room. The willpower will apply to one of these rolls. Yeah. However, the spinning wheel will apply to all of them. Hell yeah. Oh, so you fucking sucker punched me with a two-die bonus like in game three, and now I've just been like, motherfucker. Right. <laughs> you allowed it. It did. It was very cool. <laughs> Don't you look at Erica and put your blame that she specifically requested I'm, would not be on her. I'm, on her, <laughs> I am allowed to be permissive and bitchy. Regret it. <laughs> I can be permissive and bitchy the whole time. Is that a good face or a bad face? It's a lot of faces. So far, I have eleven successes. <laughs> and that's and that's without blowing those tens yet, right? Four of them are tens. 13 successes on the first roll. <laughs> that seems auspicious. Don't say that. Why would you say that? It, you get Rob. that shit out of here. You get 13 successes on the first roll. You got some leeway. I'll lose three dice. Another four successes on the second roll. So I'm at 17. It's another six successes. Mm-hmm. 24. 24 successes so far. So I'm going to stop you real fast. You need 25. Now, there is an interesting quirk of the system here. 
You cannot actually get an extended success or an exceptional success on an extended roll without the last roll taking you to the plus five because once you hit the threshold, you're done. Stop rolling. So ending at 24 while you still have a roll left means if you get six successes on this next one, you not only have succeeded, but you have gotten the rare exceptional success on an extended roll. Nope. (laughs) 27 successes. Still good enough. The specific type of entity that you are attempting to summon is a being of destined death from the pre-fallen world. It is, in some ways, a gatekeeper of deaths that should be. And so, while there are many things that you can offer to such a being that it will require to establish the path towards you, the basest and easiest as always, is a sacrifice of blood. Once the ritual circle starts to take on this smoky golden glow, he reaches for a knife that is kept on one of the shelves, and slowly he takes its edge and drags it along the inside of his palm in an arc, kind of right around the thumb, and spills his blood into the circle itself. I will deal a level of lethal damage to myself. Which is what is required. As John's blood spatters against the arcane sigils drawn on the wooden floor of the room, at first it's like nothing happens. And then the spots where the blood touched begin to darken, as if they are taken away and shadow is left in its place. John, for you it is very clear that is not like the darkness of the abyss, It is the lightlessness of Stygia. And then within the circle begins to manifest as if clawing itself out of the ground, pulling itself from the spots of darkness that the blood created, what coalesces into a nine and a half foot tall, androgynous looking humanoid form. It has no features. It is smoky obsidian in color. It has no mouth, it has no eyes, but from its back unfurl six massive black wings made of feathers and shadow. And across its chest are two massive arms just crossed, like folded in front of itself. And as it fully manifests into the realm, becoming less and less a being of smoke and more a being of actuality within the material world still all still manifested of smoke and shadow but one that is very clearly physically present here in the room with all of you within the circle it looks at john first who summoned it and two additional arms unfold as if from shadow sort of like after images so that there are two arms still crossed across its chest but then two arms unfold from that like a like an after image effect and are just one gestures towards john the individual who summoned it and in its other hand you see just like flowing water flowing around it dancing across its fingers and its palm and those of you in the room 
can smell over the blood, over the candles, the faint scent of chlorine. And then a second shadow face, sort of, again, like an after image. So the first still continues to look at John, and the second turns and looks directly at Aviva. And a second additional set, so a third set of arms, after image unfolds from the second two, the ones holding the water and pointing. And then one of the hands is wreathed in flame, and the other appears to hold a black and red power drill. And it looks at John, and though there is no mouth, a voice emanates from it that rattles in everyone's chest. And it says, You who have escaped predestined death, why do you summon me to the fallen world? Question. Is that a Starkweather drill? Yes, it is. Just curious. It's a good question. <laughs> it's a good very question. good question. Follow-up question. Yes. How old is this drill? Roll me in academics. I, I think that, like, academics intelligence. I think that's a, a way to, like, gauge that kind of thing. Three successes. Aviva grew up in this town before her death. One of the more academically gifted individuals in a town steeped in history and the history of toolmaking and its own pillar business. For the girl who spent all of her time studying and was destined for the Ivies before the intervention of fate. She knows a lot about the history of the town in some ways and can actually place around when this was. And this is a power drill from around the the production period of the Starkweather factory from probably the mid to late 70s, early 80s. More importantly, does it line up with the names given by Strata? It lines up perfectly with the kind that would have been primarily in use during the time that Alice died. Alice and Kurt and all of them died. Thank you, thank you. Uh, as soon as the scent of chlorine hits the air, Aviva has lifted her own arm to put on the gauntlet. But she's not wielding it yet. She's still looking to John. It's just now there's arms up and hers, in, hers is included. She doesn't say anything, but Lola secretly thinks her version of John with six arms looked way better than this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Rude. Poser. John's eyes kind of drift to the flowing water and the chlor- chlorine scent. I have called you because there's a being called the Antithanatau, and it comes from the abyss. It has invaded the fallen world. It denies death and would do so to everything around it. It is a force of anti-destruction. And in order to see it undone, I need your help. One face continues to be focused entirely on Aviva. The other face continues to be focused entirely on John. And the face that is looking at John, there's sort of an intensifying of the gaze as he speaks, despite the lack of features. And it says, Your name, Mage, who was denied his destined death. Ah, John sighs. Gets a weird look. Names have power, and so I will give you my shadow name. 
and nothing more. The face on the head that is looking at you nods. It's a little disorienting. <sighs> I am Thanatos. Much like if it just been like XX Dragon Killer XX <laughs> Taser Face. Shut up, Dan. I became a mage in high school. <laughs> in order to see this undone, I require an obsidian blade taken from a carabos of the lower mysteries. So deep is your need that you summoned me, knowing the consequences. Should I become aware of you and the other who has escaped its destined death? Fuck off with the its. What? Does not react. Were I to simply be gone, the Antithanatao would go unchallenged, unseen by you. So what would it be? How would you have it? Death is nothing but patience. You will have my aid to retrieve the things you seek to put to rest the beings of anti-death, and then I shall come for you both. Lola is, like, immediately visibly uncool with this idea. Not her. Okay, no, not either of us. What the fuck is your issue? And as soon as Aviva is somewhat argumentative, the face that is looking at her becomes somewhat more focused. And as though it cannot help itself, it argues back. You were destined to die. You have evaded the natural order of your destined death. And though I could not see you within the fallen world, now I know. And thus your predestined death will be visited upon you. What the fuck do you mean by destiny exactly? Could you give me a definition? Because I'm pretty sure that I actually wasn't supposed to be burned to death. In answer to asking for a definition, the fire in one of its six hands intensifies. Yeah, we get it. Fire is known as the essence of angels. As if you are one. No. This is your destined death, and I am known to some within the world as a black angel. Oh, so are you an angel, or what's your deal with that? I am known to some within the world as a black angel. Okay, so you don't serve like a higher purpose, or... My higher purpose is to bring destined death to those who have evaded it. You have evaded your destined death, Sin Eater. Ew. Hey, take that fucking back. What the fuck is that shit? So you don't know who you are, either. You have evaded your destined death, Sin Eater. Why is he calling me a Sin Eater? Oh, man. All right, so... No, that's some weird Catholic shit. Yeah, it, it is. It but is. it is a term that gets thrown around in reference... To those who do as you do. Okay, it's you kind of... You are the bound. The bound are Geist and Sin Eater, both escaping their destined death. Okay, well, at least bound isn't referential to an entire history of 
all sorts of exploitation, financial, religious, whatever. So, John, this sounds like bullshit. Your mom changed fate to make me die. What about you? I cannot be fooled by mere trickery or the manipulations of mortals. Your destined death was to be burned alive. Wait. T- time out. John says, not, not me. <laughs> <laughs> time out. Who burned her? She burned herself. Is that so? She burned herself. Why did she burn herself? It is not mine to know the whims of mortality. That's convenient. Are you not curious? No. I think you are? No. I actually agree with the wannabe angel punk on this one. I don't think it actually cares about what the truth is or how to substantiate what it's saying. I think whether or not an Akamoth was responsible does matter. Yeah, I would assume so, too. Lola kind of crawls on the desk over to John, and while Aviva is having words, um, she whispers to John, she's like, is it helpful to tell him that your mom is actively bringing these creatures of anti-death in, and as long as she is working, they're going to keep coming, so as long as we stand against her. I am so sure that I can hear you right now. A third face. (laughs) No additional arms, but a third face, like, superimposed manifests and looks directly at Lola and just says, stoically and with that expression, I can indeed perceive you. Well, don't. No. Okay. So... John like John like is like surprised by this thing's in it, like how unlucky it would be should it ever be caught in like an internet fight. <laughs> like John, you are not uh, actually fuck. Roll me an occult intelligence here, man. <laughs> yeah, because this thing is so vulnerable to trolls. You obviously you knew enough to summon one of these things, but now that you are in its presence. It's playing by rules that I didn't expect, so hold on. No, it is maliciously complying is what it's doing. That is zero successes. <laughs> Man, this thing's just fucking alien. Yeah, why is it doing this? Okay. Can I I'm willing to take a penalty on this because I have no concept of what angels are. But can I make like some sort of empathy roll to just kind of understand its general Tell you self. What. You may also roll me in occult intelligence, mm-hmm. and I will not give you, like, as precise mage information as maybe John would have gotten, but it will be, if you succeed, we will filter this a little bit through Lola's perspective. Five successes. Seriously? Yes. Did you remember that it's eight or higher this yes, time? Yes, I did. <laughs> That's why it's five and not, like, four. <laughs> Uh, that's an exceptional success, Lola. Mm-hmm. Lola, the way this thing is behaving... So, the concept of a black angel is totally alien to anything having to do with the ch- the hedge or changeling stuff or the gentry. But for Lola, the idea that there are unknowable arcane rules that, to mortal perceptions, are nonsensical, but are baked into the way that beings interact is not completely alien. 
This is an oath it had no say in orchestrating, but the, was forced upon it. If if contracts are bargains with the hedge that come with their inherent loopholes and things, mm-hmm. this being may not be something of Arcadia. In fact, it you know for a fact it isn't. Mm-hmm. But it also has weird rules and loopholes that it must follow. And as John and Aviva are talking to this thing, you start to get the impression, and I, with an exceptional success, I will give you the ban of a black angel. And the ban of a black angel, you know, filtered through your understanding as a changeling, is that if somebody argues with it, it has to argue back. So it's Ramona. Kinda. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the um, disadvantage you get when you align with the abyss. <laughs> so, by the way, when Lex told me he wanted to summon a black angel, mm. I'm just gonna out of character for a second here. Mm-hmm. Knowing the members of this party, <laughs> I started laughing, like, out loud, knowing what its ban was. <laughs> so, Lola? Mm-hmm. So here's what I won't give you, but you can make the assumptions that you will make. If you win an argument against it, which this thing is, from what you can tell, literally a force of nature. This is not like making a bargain with one of the gentry. This is like making a bargain with a a facet of creation itself. If you win the argument, what happens? Oh. Mm -hmm. Draw your own conclusions. But you do know that it's ban, essentially, that the loophole of interacting with this thing is, man, it cannot help but to take argument bait. Lola just sort of watches this thing. She doesn't have a great poker face, but as she begins to sort of see the motives and observe the behavior of this entirely alien creature, she can't help but to start to empathize with it. Not in the sense that she is on its side, but that she comprehends without condoning what it is or what it's asking. And as it kind of pokes a face at her, She just kind of gives it a look of a pity. Says, I know you can't help but to argue. But we're not here to argue with you. No, fuck that. I'm here to argue now. I'm fucking sick of people telling me how I should be dead or that I should be more dead or whatever your fucking deal is, guy. My people have an obligation to wrestle with angels and you're not even one. I am known to some as a black angel. And that's how you identify yourself. You, you, you are identified by the mirror that shows you, not by who you are inside. It is my purpose to bring destined death. Okay, Lola, I get that you're trying to be sympathetic right now, but right now we have an opportunity to actually do what this guy is claiming that he wants to do. Bring destined death. Lola yeah. holds up the metal rod. Okay, not time for that yet. There are always... <laughs> rules and there are always ways around those rules it must argue what if you could stop the argument by proving something that it cannot argue back and she like makes significant faces at john and aviva john does not interrupt their discussion nor does he intercede on aviva's verbal assault at this celestial being what he does do is he gently reaches out with his arm and interposes it between aviva and the angel 
as if to carefully be holding her back <laughs> so that the argument doesn't escalate to the point where she crosses into the circle <laughs> and starts to physically wrestle the black angel. <laughs> Up until that point, John's pretty much down for whatever, but but, but he, he, he holds her back it so is, that she doesn't go nuts on this, this guy. This is the accidental WWE <laughs> episode. I, I love two things about that. One... It is showing John has a grasp of what's going on, both of what the Black Angel is capable of and also what Aviva will probably do. And two, I find it very funny that you, John thinks he can hold Aviva back. But, <laughs> but symbolically, here we are. Look, man, I'm just doing my part. Right? <laughs> Aviva gives Lola like a what the fuck are you on about kind of look. Um, she's probably a little too focused to specifically understand she seems like she's listening but she doesn't she seems like she's listening but that she's not fully on the same level she's listening she's not hearing or vice versa she's trying but uh the focus of her aggravation uh, does take up a bit of all of that so v what it can't help its nature it is what it is direct your sails don't try to fight the wind i am what i am yeah, we, we know. Okay, then what's your deal with not trying to actually enforce destined death on, you know, this entire town where there's a forest full of shit that's not even rotting? You look I at me and you look an at John. I am angel of rot. It is a- Lola. Aviva. I'm Lola. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Established. <laughs> I'm going to take that again. <laughs> I, I was actually, I Lola don't could. think that should be deleted. I right, think that should fair. just straight up. <laughs> and Lola stumbles into a clarity attack. Yeah. <laughs> Look around you. <laughs> v, it is a creature of death. No caveats, no addendums, just death. Yeah. Destined death. Are you a creature of destined death or undestined death or just death? Destined death. Okay, well, John and I are clearly aging. It's not like we stopped aging. Angel, who who violated you then? Was it the one who changed destiny or the one who fought death? I return those who were destined to die to the moment of their destined death and cast them into the underworld as is proper. But destiny was changed. She's asking, which do you intend to enforce? Destiny before it was changed or destiny after it was changed? Whether it was changed or not by mortal infiltration does not change that it was the destiny that is meant to be. So if there were an angel of fate? There is not. Yet? And if someone dies as a result of a paradoxical event, is it meant to be? That which lies outside of the supernal is not the realm of the Black Angel. The supernal or whatever was super involved both times, and Aviva just gestures. Yes, the supernal is involved in your destined death. Aviva's death was paradoxical. It is quiet for a very long time. Wasn't it? He looks at Aviva and, like, takes her hand. I 
yeah, your mom did that, but also, I don't think it should be going after you either. Explain. One win at a time. Aviva huffs, but she lets John take the lead John, on that. you don't know what you hit. The intervention of a mage who wishes to play with fate is not the concern of the angels of Stygia. What if we willingly walk into the underworld? Paradoxical. Explain. And it, it is ignoring Lola when it says that. It seems to be stuck on this concept. Aviva, I've watched what happened over and over, and it was thought crimes. The Akamoth, that's what did this. You know that. But the Akamoth cannot exist. Its existence violates fate. It violates all of the rules of reality, meaning anything it does... Right? And he kind of like just falls quiet and basically lets Aviva have her fight. Aviva, it having been proved earlier that they could hear when we're whispering, looks over at the angel in the same way that you would look over at an audience, just pointedly. It just looks back. If your intent is is to defend your destined death as not natural defend. And it is very clearly talking to Aviva when it says that. Almost as though you have to argue your own death. There is a colossal roll of the eyes. And for a second, those same eyes drift down to where John is holding her back, bro, because she is thinking about doing something stupid. She doesn't. She doesn't move him. But she looks back up to the angel, gritting her teeth, taking a moment to not choose violence. She goes instead for telling this angel, You say my destined death was fire, but there wasn't supposed to be, destined to be, that bottle of kerosene. That wasn't supposed to be there. The intervention of a mage meddling with fate is not the concern of the angels of Stygia. Okay, and a mage bringing in an Akamoth. It is quiet again. Creature of the Abyss. I'm sorry, person that apparently has a name of the Abyss. Give the name of the entity. Thought crimes. As has been provided by Thanatos. The John fa- cringes. Yeah. <laughs> the face Lola, that, Lola covers her mouth as she tries not to chuckle a little bit. The face that it seems it has stayed locked on John. By the way, Lola, the face that was looking at you has disappeared again. Oh yeah. Aviva's aggravation is absolutely having splash damage at this point. The face that looks at John seems to focus again and goes, Thanatos. Is this the identity of the abyssal entity, so named by Thanatos? It is, he says with a little bit of a sigh at the repetition of his name being invoked. Can you provide to me proof of the intervention of the abyss in this woman's life? I've kept it stored in my dreams. Will you... Step into the circle to let me see. John lets go of Aviva's hand. Not if she gets a grapple on him. Yeah. <laughs> Make your roll. <laughs> <laughs> B. 
AVP. I low-key love that there was a kiss between John and Aviva, and now, and now they're, she's fighting Now him. they're PvPing? Yep. Yes. This feels correct. Is that not how you flirt? <laughs> not as this character. <laughs> this is a brawl, what? Brawl plus strength. Actually, I, I think we're holding hands, so I don't know if my defense... Would apply depends on no. what she makes the roll. You, if you are holding hands, you are essentially already grappling. Is what yeah. I'm going to rule, okay. and this is a brawl plus strength for you to get away. <laughs> All right, so oh, not okay. my favorite. Uh, that sounds like it's contested. No, no, no it's contested. Both yeah. of okay. you roll. Okay. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. No kids. Zero successes. John, is your is that a two die pool? Shut up. <laughs> you leave Thanatos alone. One success. John kind of gives a tug when he feels her resisting. He just kind of says, it's okay. I promise. She's bristling, but she's not willing to continue getting in the way. And he steps into the circle. As soon as John crosses the circle, the hand that is not holding anything the one opposing the hand that has the chlorinated water shoots out as fast as shadow quicker than you and any of you can see and it's he steps in and then suddenly the hand is on John's head gripping tightly John it is deeply uncomfortable you are being directly touched by Stygia itself you are a Moros you are always touched by Stygia which is why I'm not imposing any extra penalties here but this is a lot. This is a lot. Yeah. John, you can feel it inside your mind, and you are racked with memories of your first time at the Tower of Stygia. And then suddenly, it's as if John is shoved back outside the circle. You got a success on your summoning. It cannot presently harm you. This thing is very literal. It is also apparently a being... Saying it's a being of its word is to undersell the fact that this is just a being of particular concepts. So when it said, will you let me see, that is what it meant. It was not a trick. This thing does not seem capable of trickery because it just is what it is. And John is suddenly shoved kind of violently, not deliberately, just that is a side effect of the power of this thing back out of the circle. And it doesn't say anything. But the two topmost arms, the one carrying the power drill and wreathed in flame, fold back into the center arms crossed across its chest and disappear. But the one that was just on John and the one carrying the water remain. Viva goes to try to catch John. Seeing the hands, though, her, that's where her focus is landing immediately afterwards, and she's like... All right, now you. And she's looking at John, actually. The touch and interference of the abyss thwarted the destiny and death of this being. The bond between Sin Eater and Geist is a side effect of that which should not have been in the first place. It is not under the purview of the angels of Stygia to burn this one, as was believed to be intended.
Yeah, cool. Now, glad we're on the same page. Now him. We are on the same page. And the face that was looking at Aviva also disappears like the one that was looking at Lola. And only the one looking at John remains. See? John actually kind of smiles a little bit. You're meant to be here. You are not. No. Maybe I'm not. No, that's bullshit. The intervention of mortal mages thwarted the destined death of this one. We have seen all of it. John, you told me you don't know what you hit. I don't, but I know I hit something. But you know that it wasn't the wall, right? You're a swimmer. You know how many strokes. Somewhere deep inside you, you know. Someone intervened there. The only one who knows about the imbecile intrusion that's been going on. The one responsible. She didn't exactly come to visit. I don't know that she really knew or cared what even happened. I can't tie her to what happened. I can't honestly say. I cannot say the words in high speech that my death was unnatural. Lola, you remember seeing Ramona's memories. You remember her being in a meeting with the leader of the Order of the Toolmaker. You remember her getting a phone call, being surprised and upset, but hanging it up to do her business. There was surprise there? You were inside her mind. There is reason to believe that Ramona didn't do that. And the Black Angel looks, continuing to look directly at John, and goes, Mortals are not infallible. Nothing is. And... I will say this to you directly. I was meant to die. But that is not the only reality that needs to be accepted here. If I don't intervene, if we don't intervene, the Antithanatau exists, the paradox incursions continue, and whatever machine it is that is taking action pulls this place further and further away from the laws of reality. So if you want to settle some score later on, bring it on. But for now, you and I are on the same side. When John says the word antithanatal, this thing has been pretty implacable, pretty stoic. It's just, it is an agent of what it is. Mm -hmm. When he says antithanatal, there is a palpable shiver of like hate and disgust that comes off the angel. And it looks at John and says, Convince me that you are required for the cessment of the Antithanatal. You need me as I am, I say in high speech. When do I stop needing you as you are? In the fallen world, there are infinite answers to your question. You will always need me because you cannot reach here without me. I have your name, John, you known as Thanatos. I agree to aid you and yours in retrieving what you wish to dispatch of the Antithanatal. Lola, her eyes go wide, she blanches, and she immediately crouches on the desk and, like, curls into a ball and reaches for where her wings would be but can't find them. 
Hey, you're not fucking serious. You're going to let this come after you. I'm not letting a damn thing happen. But if it wants to make the try, I kind of look at the angel. I can swing by another night. For now, I need you to open a door deep into the underworld where we can find the dagger and see the Antithanatau undone. Name what it is that you require. An obsidian dagger. Particularly one that belongs to a Caraboy. The Caraboy, any of them. And the deep mysteries of the underworld. You wish to retrieve one of the obsidian daggers of a Caraboy of the lower mysteries? Yes. It does not put away the hand that has the chlorinated water. But the other one gestures towards John and says, Time is a concept of the fallen world. When do you wish to go and whom? I want the door open now. And the people that I want to come with me, they're here. Very well. Then you should find it upon the sacrificial altar at the center of ancient Miskathon. And it waves the hand that is not folded across its chest or holding chlorinated water. And an ancient obsidian door appears in the middle of the summoning circle. Wide open to a place that for Aviva is extremely familiar. And the scent of water and salt and the faint whistling of wind opens. Can we see through it? Through the door, because it is fully open. This is not like one of the ones that is found in every graveyard in the world, or one of the ones that occasionally manifests within like a slaughterhouse or a place where a lot of people died. This is one created by a black angel, so yes, you can see where it is going. And what you see is a city of alien architecture. A place of impossible spires and water dripping from what to... Everyone who doesn't understand the geography of the underworld appears to be the sky, almost like it's raining, but it's an irregular pattern, like it's dripping from a cave ceiling. It is dark. It is a place of darkness. The spires of stone, they almost look like giant stalag... uh, stalagmites almost as if they are created of like ancient stalagmites but it's not mere minerals that this water carries down and within those stalagmites they are so massive as to have been hollowed out and you can see almost what looks like windows within them but occasionally you see like fires like little campfires and things there are no like modern lights or anything And in the distance, those of you who have good eyes, you can see what appear to be pilgrims, maybe, who walk within there. The ghosts of people who do not belong. It's it's anachronistic and jarring. You see ghosts of New Englanders from like the 1600s, maybe. John Alden, Priscilla Mullins. That kind of era. But in this alien like chthonic place and it smells of it smells of tears and water and the how the ghostly howling of wind 
as it exits the door to the material world. Lola actually sees none of this. Uh, She is curled into a ball on the desk, self-flagellating a little bit, like raking her nails on her back and pulling at her hair because in her mind she has just damned John because she fucked up. There is a look of genuine wonder inside the the doorway for a moment as where Aviva is totally like cool and experienced about this stuff. John is actually not. When he kind of looks among the group and starts to kind of realize that they're not quite as excited and curious as he is, uh, he stops particularly on Lola and puts his hand on her back. It's okay, Lola, we need you. She takes a breath and she kind of like oozes onto him just like grabbing onto him like she can keep him from slipping away or pull him back from the mistake she made and just starts whispering that she's sorry as fast as she can we're about to go on a trip you've got a lot of experience that sort of thing I'm gonna need you she takes a minute she just kind of holds onto his hood and after a minute she just sort of Pulls herself together. And she gives a nod. I'll keep you safe, I promise. I believe you. Dan, you ready? Yeah, let's go check out this place. (laughs) (laughs) As he finally gets off his phone. (laughs) Did you miss all that? No, no, I was watching the angel and everything else like that. It was was real weird. Oh my fucking, okay. And And Aviva throws on her jacket. (laughs) John holds out his hand toward Viva. One more trip before big showdown. Yeah. Hey, is this door going to stay open or what's the deal with that? Do you require the door to the underworld remain open? Sure. He doesn't answer after that. Actually, wait. John says, kind of making a sudden realization. No, close it behind us. So it shall be. Lola gives a look like she wants to panic, but is trying very hard to trust John's judgment. We can't have things leaving through the door. We're doing this to make things better, right? Yeah. Okay. Can we get out? I have a plan. Did it once without a door. Aviva says a little spitefully, still not settled with the uh, angel's decisions. I guess I'll see you again. I look at the black angel and walk through. You will be found. Do the rest of you follow John through the door? Lola desperately needs to hold something right now, so she kind of, like, clambers onto Dan's back in a piggyback. Unless he drops her or tells her no. Wait, do you give any indication of what you're doing? No, just glomp him. No, she just glomps him like a 2009 anime convention. <laughs> um, you just throw her through like a missile. <laughs> I Dan, no. No yeet, Dan. Dan, no yeet. Is it yeeted or yoat? I just want to know who threw Lola through the abyssal gate. Um... Yeah, oh, this follows. is not an abyssal gate. I want to know who threw Lola through that one. Yeah, We will not be passing through abyssal gates. Really quick, important. Mm. <laughs> yeah, he follows up after that and kind of gives a nod to the angels like, later, nerd. <laughs> it does not respond. <laughs> Did Dan just win an argument with the angel? <laughs> I am not a nerd. You are a nerd. <laughs> that is definitely not true, so I'm yes, out. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs>
I cannot help but to argue. It's not an argument, it's a statement. Yes, Aviva is linked with John and is moving through with him. As soon as the last person steps through the door, for truly a fraction of a second, you can see John's occult study behind you, and the door disappears, and the group of you are alone for the moment in ancient Miskathon. And as the door disappears, one last aspect of ancient Miskathon becomes apparent to you as a massive shape at the edge of the city where the rivers meet around this island moves slightly. John will actually pause as the power of the underworld starts to surge through him and I will go to death five so long as I'm in the underworld. All right. Forgetting Asheville is an actual play Chronicles of Darkness podcast set in the fictional New England town of Asheville. Aviva Caradonna was played by Rebecca Steigelfest. Dan Swanson was played by Tim Davis. Jesse Swanson was played by Garrett Gabby. John Taggart was played by Lex Lopez. Lola Gardner was played by Erica Webb. Your storyteller was Rob Muirhead. Recording and editing by Rebecca Steigelfest. The music used in this episode was by Victoria Borodnova. You can find their music on pixabay.com. Forgetting Asheville uses the second edition Chronicles of Darkness rule sets, including Changeling the Lost, Geist the Sin Eater, Mage the Awakening, Werewolf the Forsaken, and other Chronicles source materials, with a few select house rules. The Chronicles of Darkness are produced by Onyx Path Publishing. Make sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at at PathOfNightPod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash pathofnightpodcast, or email us at pathofnightpodcast at gmail.com. You can help support the show at coffee.com slash pathofnight. See you next time, outsiders. How many days is it before the Founders Festival? Uh, I'm going to call it like five days. Um, if, uh, if that is contradicted, audience, by something I said in the past, no, it isn't. <laughs> Time wizard, fuck you. <laughs> um, Was it two days? Fuck. All right. Yeah, that is better. How many? I, I actually um, like a week more. Yeah, it's five days. It's five days. All right. Time you wizard. Are, you don't want to take that? Nope. Time uh, wizard. Okay. <laughs> um... Lola has, Lola has declared that time is arbitrary, and Lola mm-hmm. is simply correct. Okay. Yeah, so yep. it was it was two days, but what we've done and fucked around with the plot, so now it actually is five days <laughs> because of time was a dream. Yep, time was that a dream. makes sense. Fuck okay, uh, you were in the hissiel and it dialed back time. No, that's accurate. No, time wizard. Go on. Yep, yep. it's five days. <laughs>